0: Carol, can you hear us? She no, she can't hear us. i us. sent her an email too. Kurt, um, are you ready? Yes. All right, you need to do this level of about 30 seconds. We'll go ahead and get started, Kurt. If you're ready,
1: All ready. All right. Hope everyone can hear me. Good evening. My name is Dave Cronin, city engineer. Uh, and I'm. Can you hear me? Yes, Commissioner Brown,
0: we can hear you. Glad Hello. They- you can you hear you, Commissioner Brown? <clears throat>
1: So again, my name is David Kron, city engineer. I'm here with uh, city staff members Jenny O'Brien and Christina Gerken. Um, And I'm going to work alongside uh, Vice Chair Carol Bowen tonight um, to facilitate tonight's meeting's proceedings. Commissioner uh, Collette is not going to make the meeting this evening. Um, This meeting is being recorded and broadcast live on the city YouTube channel and public access cable. Channel 25. During the meeting, when you are not participating, please mute yourself by clicking on the microphone icon found on the lower left-hand side of the Zoom menu next to the video icon. When you are muted, a red line will appear over the icon. Muting your microphone during the meeting will make it easier for everyone to hear. You'll just have to remember to unmute if and when you want to speak. In some cases, we may mute or unmute people as needed to minimize distractions during the meeting. Please remember to state your name and title for the benefit of those listening remotely. You can turn your video on and off by clicking on the video icon on the menu. For the purposes of this public meeting, please keep your video on when you are participating in the meeting. When you are not participating, it's okay to turn your video off. Just remember to turn your video back on when you are participating. If you are participating by phone, you can click star six to unmute your phone. For those using Zoom, somewhere on your screen, you will see a choice to toggle between speaker and gallery view. Speaker view shows the active speaker, gallery view tiles all the meeting participants. Individuals who registered in advance to provide public comments remotely will be called upon by name. When you are called on, please unmute your listening device and state your name before speaking. The chair will then call for in person public comment for those who are physically present. Staff will direct them to the to speak while following social distancing and safety protocols all motions will need to be stated clearly after a motion is made and seconded staff will call on each member individually to provide their vote staff will then need to announce whether the motion carried and the count of the vote Um, before we turn the meeting over to commissioner roan to uh, start things we're going to have uh jenny do roll call jenny go ahead
0: thank you david
2: um, please uh, respond with present. Steve Evans. Present. David Baltuska.
3: Present.
0: Carol Bowen. Present. Nick Kuzniak. Present. Aaron Hayden. Court Buffington. Present. Trisha Collette is not present. Uh, Charlie Bryan. And Gregory Critchlow.
4: This is Charlie Bryan, I'm present.
0: Oh, you are? I'll
4: join by video in a moment.
0: Great, thank you. And Gregory Critchlow. Thank you. All right, uh, Vice Chair Bowen, you wanna go ahead and kick things off? Uh, Vice Chair Bowen, you're on mute still,
5: I believe. Thank you. <laughs> this is Commissioner Bowen. Tonight we have Jenny Kramer from the KDOT And she's the bicycle and pedestrian coordinator to give us a presentation. Can you hear me all right?
1: This is Sydney we can. And yes, yep, we see Jenny just popped on, so we'll turn it over to Jenny to share her screen and uh, on a presentation.
6: Hello, thank you for having me. I am going to attempt to share my screen with the audio enabled so you can hear. I have a couple of videos I'm hoping to play. Let's see. Can you see the presentation mode?
0: Yes, we can see it.
6: Okay. Um, Thank you for having me. Um, As Commissioner Bowen said, I am the bicycle and pedestrian coordinator for the Kansas Department of Transportation and was asked to come and speak to you tonight about um, our active transportation plan. We are at the, getting towards the end of this plan. It's been about a a year and a half we've been working on it. So we're getting very close. Before I get um, to, Into the weeds, though, um, I want to define active transportation in case anyone isn't clear what that is. Um, And so we define it. We've changed the definition a little bit. But basically it's walking using a wheelchair, scooter, bicycle, roller skating or skateboarding for transportation. So you will see probably in future publications a slightly different version. But to give you an idea or to make it clear what what I mean when I say active transportation is what it is. We hired Tool Design uh, early this year, and in collaboration with with them as a consultant, as well as internal and external partners, um, we have been working on the first active transportation plan since 1995. So it was in desperate need of an update. And we will be addressing the needs of, of all users who use active transportation And so going beyond just uh, thinking about the transportation system for motorized users only and then our focus really is making improvements through policies, planning, design and partnerships. So I'm going to play this video. This is our PSA.
7: Great things are happening for active transportation in Kansas. Pedestrian improvements, multi-use pathways, and more convenient connections to the places you need to go. Kansas is doing an active transportation plan for the first time in 25 years. Discover the benefits of active transportation in your community. Walking, cycling, roller skating, boarding, electric scooters, and bike share. Let's give everyone the gift of active transportation. Join
6: us. OK. So that video um, that PSA was developed to encourage um, Kansas residents, um, all, all users of the transportation system to participate in our public meetings that we held in February. And so that was the first uh, video we, we got out there. It happened to be around the holidays, so that, that's why we chose to give the gift. Um, so getting into that season again. Oops. Here's a brief timeline. Um, so just showing when we kicked off, had some visioning. Uh, we formed our core team. So often called like a stakeholder meeting or a stakeholder group. Um, called the core team with with mostly external partners uh, of various agencies and organizations that we thought we needed representation from. And then we also have a KDOT technical advisory committee um, made up of of folks from bridge, road design, local projects, et cetera. Um, So meeting there, planning for the public meetings, um, developing the videos, and then uh, after having the meetings, really starting to draft the vision, the goals, recommendations, and now we are in this stage of drafting the plan, the toolkits, all of the other um, complementary um, documents that I'll discuss in a bit. And then uh, we were hoping for end of September completion, but as you know, things like when, when you're really getting um, to, to writing up what, all, you know, all, based on all of the uh, background and, and feedback, it, it often takes longer to get a product that, that you're really happy with and um, or just making it like, as perfect as you want it or as close to perfect as possible. Uh, so just to talk about the, the engagement a little bit more, um, because this was a really, we had a great experience. We had a really good participation from folks across the state. Uh, we held 19 public meetings. Um, nine public workshops that were targeting the different districts around the state, as well as the metro areas of Wichita and Kansas City. And then we had focus groups focused on these um, representative areas of public works, also planning staff, engineers, elected officials, Parks and rec. See the health and wellness was a, a big one. We invited our public health partners, economic development, younger generations. Um, those representing older populations, those with disabilities, uh, schools, and then we had a kind of catch all as like recreation and, and equestrian and um, so really great conversations in all of those meetings. And then in June, in June, on June 15th, we held two more meetings to go over the draft goals and and then had some surveys after that allowed folks to provide additional comments. And I, and I do want to say too, like before the February meetings, we did get out a, um, a survey across the state. And then some key thing, themes from the public meetings um, are listed here through transportation choices, equity, connectivity, partnerships. Um, this was our uh, final statement after the public responded. Um, Kansas will be a place where people of all ages, abilities, and backgrounds have safe and convenient options to walk, bike, roll, and use other active modes for transportation and recreation. And then just highlighting the, the identified goals being safety, equity, mobility, community health and vibrancy, culture shift in education, and system longevity. We also conducted pretty early on a crash analysis. And um, this is a a pretty technical document that that will be available and um, just looked at all of the causes of crashes uh, with pedestrians and cyclists that resulted in injury and and fatalities um, and then came to some conclusions uh, looking at like where where those high risk areas are so that we can better address those needs. Um, so the resources that are available right now are that PSA and video series, So one of which I, I just showed you. It's available on our, those are all available on the website and available for use. Um, whenever you, like, say, have a meeting or want to discuss active transportation, any kind of pu- public outreach, they're available for use. Um, I also want to point out that this, the PSA and video series was the winner in the video series category of the Transcom Skills Contest um, that Ashdo puts on um, every year. So those exciting. Um, that happened like, just back in September. And so we also have an active transportation page fa- or plan Facebook page. We're um, collecting stories. I'll talk about that in a second. And then you can also see the public engagement meeting recordings and summaries at this website. So just said briefly talk about the story map, um, we really need representation in in other parts of the state, uh, but just wanted to show it here. Um, but it always bothers me how empty it is. Um, so, if you have friends, family, and, and these other parts of the state, please encourage them to submit their stories. very easy. Um, I have the link here, and you you could just one or two lines in a picture and just a, your experience walking and cycling in your um, town. And it can even be the needs too. Like if you if you wanted to point out like gaps or needs in your area. Okay, so available soon, we'll we'll have the final plan um, vigorously being drafted and reviewed, uh, we're hoping by the end of December. And um, then we also are developing toolkits. So one our communities are really excited about um, is the active transportation planning toolkit for small and mid-sized communities. basically under 20,000, um, but especially for, uh, you know, there's so many communities that are 5,000 or less and they their budgets don't allow them to hire a consultant to go in and, and do all the, the work needed to develop a plan. So this toolkit allows um, this plan to be community led and um, takes them through the steps of, of getting that public engagement, identifying the, the needs, the gaps, uh, prioritizing routes um, applying for funding, um, there will be templates for developing a map, and, um, and then if they do have any funding, they could save that for maybe hiring an engineer um, to, to look a little more deep at the, uh, the routes identified for, for identifying some, some cost estimates um, that will help when applying for funding. Another toolkit, and so we're hoping to get that one done really soon because the communities are anxious to start using it. So hopefully, by the end of this month, we'll have that. Promoting active tourism, um, that is currently being drafted and reviewed. Uh, we hope to see that one soon. And so that hasn't even gotten into our hands yet. And then a uh, bike and pedestrian accommodations on bridges. This will hopefully be more technical. Um, it is designed to be especially uh, well used by our internal KDOT bridge engineers, but also for communities. Um, just giving ideas on how to better accommodate cyclists and pedestrians on bridges. Um, So often bridges are being renovated, rebuilt, and we wanna make sure that if if, uh, cyclists and pedestrians are using that bridge, if it's a a critical connection that um, those facilities are, are considered in the design at the beginning. Economic impact assessment and tool. This is also under review right now. Currently, it's technical, um, so we're hoping to make it, we're in the process of making it more user friendly. Um, And then, as I mentioned, the crash analysis and executive summary. So, this is a glimpse of the front page of the toolkit for small and mid sized communities to develop their own active transportation plan. And then I'm going to end with the final um, video of our video series.
8: me gusta caminar porque lo aprendí en mi país guatemala que mi mamá tenía un negocio y yo tenía que ir a vender y pues caminaba bastante para poder vender lo que tenía que vender pero siempre me ha gustado caminar ahora que ya me operaron de mis rodillas no lo hago tanto porque no quiero lastimarme porque aquí si sí me hubieran puesto y otro doctor me dijo que ya no hiciera eso porque yo le dije todo lo que yo caminaba y dice Adela está loca <ríe> pero yo no estoy loca sino que me ha gustado caminar Yo tenía que aprender qué bus, a dónde me llevaba, me bajaba y así era como yo conocía. Entonces no fue tan difícil ya que yo conocía las rutas y sabía cómo transportarme, ver el horario. Entonces, porque a mí mucho el carro no me gusta. Yo prefiero caminar porque hay lugares para ir, ¿verdad? Digamos, en todo este alrededor donde yo vivo, de aquí hasta donde yo voy a comprar al Aldi. Porque en el Aldi también no hay banqueta. Entonces ahí yo tengo que irme donde pasan los carros y poner buen oído por si viene un carro atrás. Si es un chofer mal educado no puedes hasta tirar. Mejorar en algún... Así como el área donde yo voy al alde, verdad Disfrutar un parque, disfrutar ver a los niños, correr, disfrutar... Pues ahí sí hay una banquita, va. Yo me sentaba ahí un ratito a descansar, o compraba mi helado en verano, me lo comí. Yo creo que Dios no permitió que yo aprendiera a manejar, porque me gusta caminar. El carro ahí estuviera parado. Es que esa es mi vida. Para mí, esa así es mi vida.
6: So that was um favorite of ours for sure um it was a nice way to end uh the video series and um we even had um there there's a gentleman in i think he's out of, of Hayes, and on twitter you know he, he one of the first videos we posted he he criticized quite a lot and then um but then when he said it was like the best video he'd ever seen on walking and so uh, we we're pretty pretty pleased that we changed his heart <laughs> for, for uh, how well government can do on, on putting videos out. Um, but that said, we did, um, we, we hired, I told you, I mentioned Tool Design was our consultant. Um, they subcontracted with Vireo and 200 was the um, video production agency we used. And so we worked all very closely together and then had the, the, um, the participation of local residents. So I didn't, I didn't even think about it. I should have played you and you can go and find it. There's actually two videos uh, featuring the Lawrence Loop. Um, Dot and Aries is in one. And then we had another one with a couple of other residents that uh, we weren't even planning for. They just happened to be out like when we were uh, showing Dot and they They said they would like to be in it too. So we were able to get two videos. So go check that out. Um, If you have any questions about the plan or anything I talked about today, um, here's my contact information. Matt Messina um, also was was my partner in this. He's he's my supervisor and could also answer any questions you have. I am going to stop sharing. Hopefully that all came through okay.
0: Are there
4: any questions, commissioners? This is Commissioner O'Brien. Well, hello, Jenny. Uh, Thanks for your presentation today. I was wondering if the plan might have specific policy recommendations that we could consider at the local level. Mm -hmm. For example, maybe the Idaho stop. That was one that our group has had some discussion from the public about.
6: Mm -hmm. Yes, so we did early on and it will be incorporated into the plan, do a policy review and Idaho stop law was one of the the laws that is included just as something to consider and discussing best practices. I know KDOT has had conversations about it in the past. I think it's been a few years. There's mixed feelings about it. I think across the state about how the safety, um, it is something that uh, we are exploring them.
4: Just for everyone else's information, the Idaho stop is not preempted by state law. So a local government could Mm -hmm. establish an ordinance to allow that, is that correct?
1: This is Dave Karnas, the engineer. Yeah, I believe that's correct, uh, Commissioner O'Brien. And I know when we did our Lawrence Bikes plan update, uh, we received comment regarding the Idaho stop um, law locally. And I think as a result of that uh, planning process, we, um, through those conversations, it was uh, probably better not to pursue a specific Lawrence, uh, Kansas rule. Um, and it might be better, that, that it would be better to uh, have the state take the lead on that, particularly with the challenge of enforcement and education. Um, it would be challenging to do it locally, but um, there was some conversations during that, during our Lord's bike plan on, on the Idaho stop, and that's, uh, I believe, a, a brief summary of some of those conversations.
0: This is
4: Commissioner Bryant again. So, if I'm understanding correctly, the state permits us to do this, but we're looking for the state to do something else. Is that what you're asking the state to do?
1: This is Dave Cronin, the engineer. We, we're not, the city hasn't asked the state to um, implement or review the Idaho stop rule. And we received comments. During the by plane and I think that was the the staff recommendation to that planning process that it would be better led at, at the state level to take the action.
4: What action, Commissioner Bryan again? What action would the state do? They've already allowed it. Is there any additional action that they can do? I don't know if that's a question for Jenny or um, I guess I'm looking for what's the st- what's stopping us from pursuing this, um, other than the opinion by staff that the state should do something else.
6: Is it um, Jenny Kramer, bike deck coordinator? We do have at the state level uh, the dead red law, which allows cyclists to proceed through a red light if if it doesn't change for them. Um, which is often often the case, most likely the case um, when they approach an intersection um, or if if the light is broken. And so maybe the, the reasoning is because we do have the dead red and that the, um, treating the stop as a yield oftentimes go together um, since like maybe making that um, a state law makes the most sense. And it, and it sounds like that the justification would be around the education just for consistency um, across the state, like that that would be the more accepted. Commissioner Bowen, so
5: I have a really dumb question. What is an Idaho stop?
6: So the Idaho stop is where you treat a stop sign as a yield if you're a cyclist. So as a cyclist, we we're moving at often a a slower pace and, and are more aware of our surroundings. And so as you approach a stop sign, say it's a four way stop and, and you're able to see further distances and that if there's no cars, um, instead of coming to a complete stop, putting your foot down, it makes it legal that you can um, just slow look and roll through um, without coming to a complete stop.
0: Similar to if a car has a yield sign Commissioner Bowen, is there any crash
5: data involving Idaho stops?
6: Uh, I I would have to look that up, but I don't. Yeah, as far as I know, the safety is increased as a result. But I can look that
4: look into that. This is Commissioner Bryan again. Uh, Jenny, you said something about the Dead Red Law. So is mm-hmm the concern that that law might confuse people and not, I mean, where they don't believe that an Idaho stop is permitted. I guess I'm confused on whether the state allows an Idaho stop or if it just allows a city to move forward with an Idaho stop ordinance. Yes. Mm
0: -hmm.
6: So there's no state, like there's no state law, that makes it legal for a cyclist to treat a stop sign as a a yield. Okay. But a a local municipality would be able to pass that um, locally if they they wanted to proceed with that.
4: Would that conflict then with the state's dead red law?
6: No, it's different because the dead red is a signalized intersection.
4: Got it, thank you so much. So Idaho stop would only apply to a stop sign, not to stop light,
3: okay. Okay. Carol, this is Steve Evans. I have a couple of questions. Um, Jenny, I was, um, you know, I think your first slide gave the definition of active transportation. And you said there had been some changes in discussion I'm Mm -hmm. curious what that discussion was, if you can share that. And I don't know, maybe I was a little surprised to see electric scooters on that list. Uh, Maybe I shouldn't be, but um, I do have a follow-up question after that, but I'd be happy if you could share with us the whole discussion, um, as much of this discussion as you can about what really is the definition of active transportation.
6: Um yeah, and I'm going to open up the latest definition that we have that's going into our our toolkit because it is one we, we just worked on. Now electric scooters would be similar to electric bikes um, when we think about active transportation. Um, yeah, it's it, hear them? <laughs> it it is a little gets into a little bit of a gray area though, I know. Oh. So let me, here we
3: go. Yeah, and could you also, in that context, an electric scooter? I saw an illustration that looked like a, a moped, kind of a, a little cycle. And then when I think of an electric scooter, it's, it's the, you know, kind of the, the surfboard <laughs> with handlebars. So if you could kind of clarify those for us too, that would be great.
6: Yeah, so probably I think the, the visual you're thinking of was um, when we first had our logo developed by Vireo, they tried to show images for different forms of active transportation and they, they used a an image, it was an electric mobility device, like so like a wheelchair but more of a scooter, like a Vespa scooter looking one.
3: Uh-huh. Yeah, that's and what I was saying
6: yeah yeah and so we we did change the logo um it was shown on the the actual slides just to make it more clear um because i know i was I'm like it looks like they're just writing the Vespa scooter, <laughs> and even though like that is a, a mobility device it it's not it, it could just be misinterpreted i think in in our material um but yeah, like, and then the other what we have now is a little kid on a scooter, and it's he's pushing it with his foot. Um, so that's that's what we think of often with the scooters. There are the the electric scooters that are, are motorized scooters that are out there um, that uh, we we still categorize as active transportation. Um, just like with e-bikes, there's still some like it requires human. Some human power, like and it's uh, you know, non. <laughs> it's so difficult with the odds of all the electric um, bikes and, and scooters. To to because we used to say like human power, non motorized, and obviously it's a little bit harder. So let me read this definition before I confuse you more. Uh, active transportation is an umbrella term for all the ways people can get around in an active manner. Physically active forms of transportation um, play a critical role, crucial while improving personal and community health. The term active transportation reinforces that these modes are valid forms of transportation, not just recreation. Um, walking and biking are often considered recreation, um, but let's see. Okay, active transportation covers active modes beyond just walking and biking, including skating, scooting using mobility assistance devices. So those are um, like really the non-motorized, non-electrified is, is mostly what we're focused on. The e-bikes, um, there's such a range, but usually like the, the e-bikes that we often see are still needing to be pedal powered at some point. They're not the throttle, though those do exist. Um, so it's not clean cut, but if you think about just that's why we always try to list the, the modes. it's it's not an automobile, a truck, <laughs> an SUV, uh, a, a gas powered scooter. Um, so it, it tends to be those slower modes of transportation that does require some um, some act, like active role in in the human.
3: So you do so you do consider an electric scooter an active transportation device. Is that fair to say?
6: Yes. Okay. Yes.
3: And what though, about uh, what about um electric uh, skateboards would you would they be considered similar to that?
6: Um yeah, I they would fit into that um category too. I, I think just the fact that you're I mean they even though it can feel more like fun and you're not working that hard, there's still a lot mm-hmm. of active like, balancing and, um, you know, movement in that. And again, since it's not like a, an, an automobile
3: mm-hmm. cycle. Well, I, think, uh, I think a lot of people would argue they should be considered part of an active transportation definition. Um, mm-hmm. I think you say you're correct, and it's a huge gray area. And uh, probably will be until, you know, they're they're more available and people use them more. <laughs> and, you know, it won't it won't matter that much what you call them. You know, they're right. just a way that um, people get around. My follow up question is: um, We had a subcommittee looking at electric scooters before the pandemic, mm-hmm. and um, one issue that came up, a question that we had, uh, that. I don't think I've heard a good answer or even a reasonable answer yet is um, when you're looking at electric scooters and you consider, I believe the term is embodied energy. In other words, what it takes from cradle to grave, you know, all the energy that goes into making a scooter. And I think if you're looking at lithium batteries, that's probably the biggest issue, but I did see where electric scooters had a life cycle of, I think 18 months, top end. And that gave me pause um, considering the sustainable, you know, on the surface, it seems like a real sustainable solution. Uh, In many ways it is, but I wonder if you guys looked at anything along those lines um, comparing a bicycle for instance the embodied energy of a bicycle which will have you know 50 years or whatever plus in an electric scooter that's not going to be in the same category in terms of the material and the components that go into it have you all looked at that at all
6: no we we haven't gotten really into the specific like vehicle like the the scooter the the bicycle it's mostly just a accommodating that form of transportation on the road, roads. Um, so that's often at the, the city level where they're um, deciding to bring or allow these companies to come in and, and bring these electric scooters in. Um, so it's not something we've looked at regulating at all. Mm-hmm. It's mostly just accommodating
3: them on the road, um, right. riding a bike. Right. My question was less about regulation and more just about you know, the general aspects of saying, okay, an electric scooter is an active transportation means, but here's some information you need to know about electric scooters. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where I'm going with this. Um, I'm less about regulation and more about, you know, what's the deal here? <laughs> you know, yeah, maybe, what's the big big picture?
6: Ride a bike, not a knee scooter.
3: <laughs> Could be okay. Thank you. I, I'm all done. If anybody else wants to jump in, thank you.
9: The, the
6: e-scooters it it comes up a lot, and um, you know, there, there's a lot of mixed feelings about that, just because of how they're used and where they're deposited and. And um, it's it's kind of about just like to me, if it can replace a car trip, if it Im- increases flexibility in the transportation system, if it helps to uh, make more visible non um, you know auto truck SUV forms of transportation that are are, are slower that are accommodated in a similar pattern. Um, we just have to look at how that's evolving in our population, and, and oftentimes these e-scooters are, are um, forms of transportation that, uh, say, yep, college kids like to use, um, they, they can be a fun form of recreation and a good way to, to see the town, especially when you're visiting.
0: Yeah, this is Commissioner Baltuska. Uh, Jenny,
10: I was curious, I know Mo recently signed on to a vision zero policy. So with the goal of eliminating traffic fatalities by 2030, I was just curious if KDOT had any similar goals as far as the the vision zero initiative.
6: So KDOT has um, what they call the road to zero. And, so the, the best thing is we have our strategic highway safety plan um, for the first time in uh, 2020, uh, the bike and pedestrian program had, um, what, there was a, a chapter included in there as well as a, um, like the strategies, I'm saying it wrong, but if you go to our website, I, I have a link to it. And um, it, it do have goals in there on, decreasing pedestrian cyclist fatalities i don't know that i would have to look and see if like overall like for for traffic if if they have a date where they want like that where it's like at this date we have zero i i don't know that they have that
7: Hey, Kuzmiak, MMTC. Um, this question is is predicated a little bit on on ignorance of how exactly everything fits fits together. But what kind of jurisdiction does KDOT have over U.S. numbered routes? Because we have two in town, and I feel like in the past I've I've heard, and maybe not confirmed, that there was some sort of minimum standard that the state is requiring those to be at, and that any modifications would be t- difficult. But I'd appreciate if you could maybe set the record straight on you know, does KDOT have jurisdiction over U.S. number uh, routes?
6: Um, about bike routes, I don't have the expertise to answer that.
1: <laughs> Dave, I'm the city engineer. Um, Commissioner, please, KDOT can, has some uh, overview of, of, of state routes in, in the city. We have a, a, an agreement um, that we maintain those routes within the city and and when we are doing improvement projects on state state routes with state uh and or federal funding there are certain uh requirements that they have that that the state or federal government may have on our on our uh, projects and plans so that very general uh response but um Depending on what the project was, there would be oversight from the state or federal.
6: Isn't that the you call it the the community, the city linkages? What is it? The C clip? What does that stand for? Okay.
1: Um, well, it used to be clinic, but now yes, yeah, C clip, city connecting links. City connecting links. Yeah.
6: Well, and one thing I can speak to that does come up a lot is when a community wants to make improvements on. Um, a stretch of highway that is like a state highway. And um, they want to say like, have a, a sidewalk or bicycle lane um, or say it's a bridge. They will, they can, they ask me questions about it. We get the area of district engineer involved. The city can um, come up with some conceptual designs. Um, we can have it reviewed by our bridge or road um, design staff and kind of give them recommendations on whether that would be something KDOT could support, um, be okay with safety wise, and then basically give them the green light then to apply for funding um, using those conceptual designs and feel more confident moving forward on that. Um, so like that, that happens quite frequently. So I don't know if that's helpful to know.
7: Hey, Kuzmiak, i MTC. Yeah, thanks to both of you. That does help kind of clear up what I was getting at. Um, the reason I was asking was, you know, say 6th Street here in town is Highway 59 for a stretch of it, and it's, it, it, it kind of goes right through to the older neighborhoods in town. And, you know, it seems like in the future as things like Vision Zero or road diets become less fringe and more commonplace, um, I guess I'd just be curious if a project to, say, take away a lane on on US 59 and maybe replaced with bike or pedestrian infrastructure, if that would be met with, you know, um, in conflict with KDOT standards, if KDOT wouldn't really care at all, or if given some kind of new technical toolkit, KDOT would actually support kind of a mode shift from the previous paradigm of cars only to maybe more of a shared space. It sounds like currently it's maybe neutral or case by case basis, but I guess I'm kind of hoping and encouraged based on what you said earlier about the bridge toolkit, that there maybe is a chance that perhaps this could kind of keep going in the future and be, hey, if you're ever gonna work on large arterials through town that are under KDOT jurisdiction, then here's some things you might do, you know, if you wanna change a car lane to a bike lane, for example.
6: Yes, no, definitely. And those are things um, to think about. And my experience is as long as you can demonstrate that the level of service isn't negatively impacted, um, you know, based on the daily, traffic counts um that's happening quite frequently where communities are are um, doing road diets on their highways and we have several projects happening right now where where they're reducing lanes vehicle lanes putting in bike lanes um, or just to slow traffic um, so yeah definitely something to, to think about you can have your engineers do a traffic study um just to make sure when it uh, yeah slow things out and, and oftentimes it's the our roads are built um, much larger than are with
7: than more lanes than are needed. Excuse me, MMTC, that, that brings up an interesting question. And I don't know if I'm reading too into your statement, but it sounds almost like KDOT's position is that you can make changes and you can reduce lanes and potentially make things safer for bikes and pedestrians as, as a matter of course, but mm-hmm. not at expensive cars. So it sounds like then it's not really a shared space. It's always going to be cars are kind of the dominant, you know, species I guess here, right? So I guess that that, that's a little bit discouraging in that if if we really want to promote active transportation, it's always going to be difficult when it's going to be second fiddle to a much, you know, much kind of faster and dangerous mode of transportation that requires a lot of space to accommodate. So I guess I'm just hoping that maybe in the future KDAB may start to rethink that. Kansas Department of Transportation does not just mean Kansas Department of Car Transportation. So I'll be curious to see how things evolve.
6: Yeah, and it's definitely evolving. Um, And with the level of service, oftentimes some communities will do um, like, often like when when I talk about the level of service, it's often like rural communities that have like the industrial truck traffic and agriculture traffic that are going through. Um, where it's really important that that's flowing. So I don't know that it would be the same for Lawrence. You'd have to talk to um, yeah, your engineer and area engineers about that. But oftentimes, if if there are other routes that can be taken, I'm sure that can play a role too, um, where, where they would choose a different route instead. Um, but at KDOT, the, the current leadership is very supportive of of bicycle and pedestrian integration into roads. And like with the cost share, they sometimes we'll get applications and they'll ask the question, well, is there any way we can get bike and ped facilities into this? Um, or why wasn't or bike, bike ped um, needs considered here? Like, it seems like this would have been a good opportunity. Um, so so it's like the, the, the climate that I'm working in currently versus what it was say five, 10 years ago is, is dramatically different. So don't lose hope. Uh, I would present any idea. And yeah, like I, I think in urban settings, it's it's going to be different than the rural.
9: Mm-hmm.
6: But again, usually the levels, the, the roads are like we're doing a project in Topeka and they're going from two to one lane, and, and the community was just like so upset about it, like religiously upset. And um I mean people get angry. You bring it up and people get very angry even um to talk about it and they say, oh, it's going from two to one, like I won't be able to get to work, I'll be so late. And um, but it's that second lane is just not needed. And oftentimes it's not like to go to say like a four to a three um that improves the flow. It it reduces the conflicts, that those dangerous crashes. There's just so many uh good arguments for it that um yeah, and, and, and in terms of capacity, it's just not op- it's not probably usually necessary for
0: the capacity flow. Well, I think Michael Alman
6: has a question.
1: This is Dave Crunch, the engineer. Um Commissioner Boone, if there's no other um, comments or questions from commissioners, we could open it up to public
0: comment
5: you're you're muted Michael you had a question
11: oh yes thank you for uh, letting me speak Um, I I appreciate this um, presentation Um, in February the 25th uh, I participated in one of the workshops that uh, Ms. Kramer and Matt Messina held about this plan. And um, I think there were about 20 people from around the state. Um, I wanna share my screen with one thing and then make a couple comments if I could. Uh, I wanna show you, this is a slide of a breakout session at that workshop where various participants could list ideas on what they call the bulletin board. Uh, And this particular one really struck me, these two comments that I circled here. And I bring this up because agenda item number one coming up next, we'll be talking about white-striped bicycle lanes, as I call them, paint. And people at this workshop said paint is not protection. Don't fund painted bike lanes and high traffic roadways. So this is not something that's unique to Lawrence. This is some ideas around the state of people that uh, find these kind of uh, white-striped bicycle lanes is dangerous in those applications. Um, But other than that, um, at the workshop, I, I appreciate Commissioner Kuzmiak's question. I think it was about the CCLIP, City Connected Link Improvement Program, It's a funding program um, for the city to maintain and uh, upgrade state uh, state highways within the city. And my question during the workshop about that was, will the CCLIP funding apply to bikeways? It's clear in the guidelines that It can be done for geometric improvements for essential transportation infrastructure. Uh, The funding is eligible for sidewalks, um, for widening the cross section of the street, a number of things, but it's not clear about bikeways. And if we're talking about bicycle transportation, this is a form of transportation that is becoming more and more popular and essential. I think it's very important that that funding, uh, be available for bikeways, particularly, maybe maybe only on the state highways, but certainly it should be available somehow. Um, I didn't get a direct answer at that time other than, well, we'll have to look into that. Um, and uh, a second comment, I was uh, interested in how Ms. Kramer pointed out that uh, bridge funding is a consideration in the active transportation plan for bicycle pedestrian use of bridges and the constraints existing on bridges lawrence right now is looking at an extensive plan any number of options uh, that would include a bicycle pedestrian bridge across the kansas river that would either be a way to um to Re- reallocate the existing motor vehicle bridges, or add uh, something to the existing bridges, or build an entirely separate pedestrian bicycle bridge. So I would like Jenny maybe to answer those two questions about funding, if you would. And I appreciate your work and, and your time. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad you were
6: able to participate in February. Now. Um, I, I remember you. Um so with the, the C clip, that's a good question. I I don't know, um, David, if you've had experience with the funding. I I would have to find out too, but I wonder if um, if there's already a bike lane on it that if they're in the habit of of putting it in if it exists already, but I don't know. Hopefully it, it seems like there's there should be flexibility, um, but I hate to repeat what you've already heard about, looking into it and finding the answer, unless David can speak to that. Yeah, David,
1: mm-hmm. i um, <clears throat> That program is, um, there's a couple of different categories, um, pavement restoration, pavement preservation are a couple, and then the other is geometric improvements. Um, in the past, when we've done C-CLIP or CLINK projects, which was the program before, we've um, tried to use uh, some of those funds to make uh, improvements, sidewalk improvements, and get, fill in gaps particularly along our arterial streets. Um, but I don't believe there's uh, that program is for standalone bike projects. But certainly if you were to receive funding to improve the road or do geometric improvements, you could certainly uh, tag on to that with making bike pet improvements. So. Um, We look for all opportunities we can get when we apply for all the different KDOT uh, program, uh, the K programs to improve infrastructure when we can. But um, that's my history on it, Jenny, so hopefully that helps. Yeah, I I do know, and
6: yeah, most of my experience with C-clip is, yeah, the mill and overlay road improvements, like the surface improvements, um, I do know that we'll work in coordination sometimes. I think it's in um, um, Wellington, where, where we're doing a, a 10-foot multi-use path on a stretch of, of their highway in their, their downtown. And at the same time, they're having a bridge that's part of that being rebuilt. And then a C-clip um, road improvement um, so, like working all of those together, so that like the timing, um, so doing the bridge first, then the ten foot multi use path, so that it doesn't get messed up by the, that construction, and then being able to go back through and, and get it all nice and smooth. Um, based and 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 I do know that um, like when there's this awareness of these projects, um, these other projects with pedestrians and cyclists, um, that there's this an eagerness to um, coordinate and collaborate on that and make like move forward in the best way possible so um, they're all different funding streams so it's a little tricky sometimes in terms of letting dates and construction Um, but so that that is one thing to think about like on on six or wherever like if you're getting ta funding and you know of another upcoming project just like how how it can work together to improve those road conditions for everybody um, and aligns with, so like in Wellington, they redoing this bridge with completely different funding, they're going to be putting in the 10 foot multi-use path to then connect with the the two sides where that 10 foot multi-use path is being uh, funded by the transportation alternatives. So it's just an example of kind of how you just like work, work with the different funding. I think the other question was related to a, a pedestrian bicycle bridge over the Kansas River. Um, I, that sounds amazing, um, <laughs> but also I know those are very expensive, um, but uh, I, the main thing holding, holding the city back from that is, is yeah, finding the funding and, um, like just looking at all the sources, like identifying how much it would cost first and what kind of bridge. And um, then looking, you know, transportation alternatives is the program that I manage at, at KDOT. Um, we are looking to get more funding, hopefully, uh, with the new transportation bill. And so, yeah, it's, it's not a bad idea. Just start thinking about If that's something the community is, is wanting.
1: This is a uh, Dave Kronstein engineer. we got about three minutes left till six and um, Gary Weber's on the line. And Gary, did you, did you sign up for public comment on this item or for items on a regular agenda?
12: Yes, this is Gary Weber. Um, I also attended one of the February, my wife and I attended a February meeting and uh, we're really impressed with the gathering of data and, uh, and what was going on. I just wanted to, Thank Jenny for her work, and and uh, uh, look forward to seeing the final plan. Thank you.
0: We're excited too. <laughs> this
1: is Dave Cronin, the engineer. If there's no other uh, questions for Jenny, Carol, are you? Can you hear
0: us? And if there's no other
1: questions, uh, Jenny, thanks for attending today for our study session and we're looking forward to seeing the final final plan once completed.
5: Thank you, thanks Jenny. Yeah, thanks for so having, having this me. Is, this is just really appropriate given we're working on our own pedestrian plan right now too. Thank you very much.
6: Okay. Good, thank you. So I just drop off now?
5: unless there are other questions. Everyone okay?
6: Okay. You You too, reach out if you have any questions. Thank you.
5: Okay, the time is what? The time is 5.59, should we take a five minute break? Be back at five after six, is
0: that all right? That works for our staff. Sounds good, We'll we'll see you. Thanks. It's 605. are more people here? Show yourselves, please. David, should I just start with the roll call?
1: Um, Yeah. Uh, Commissioner Bone, this is Dave Cronin, city engineer. Um, We are ready here to start. So if uh, you give us a roll, Jenny will go through roll call here um, and then we'll get started with a regular agenda.
5: Okay. We have some people who haven't shown on yet. Will we have a quorum if we don't wait a couple of minutes?
1: We'll wait for some of the videos to pop up here.
0: Yeah. Okay, Charlie.
2: Okay, let's go for it. (laughs) Okay, please answer present. Steve Evans?
3: Uh, Present.
2: Damon Baltuska? Present. Carol Bowen? Present. Nick Kozmiak? Present. Aaron Payton? I'll get back to her. Um, Court Buffington. Present. Patricia Collette is out. Charlie Bryan. Come back to him. Uh, Gregory Critchlow.
0: Present.
5: All right. thank you. Hello everyone. This is the November meeting of the Multimodal Transportation Committee. Um, I am sitting in for the chair, Pat Collette. My name is Carol Bowen, I'm vice chair. Um, First, we need to uh, see if we can approve the minutes. Can I have a movement to approve them? Somebody wanna disapprove them?
3: (laughs) This is Steve Evans, I will uh... Um, move that the minutes be approved.
5: Do I have a second?
3: Or Buffington, second.
5: Thank you. Minutes have been approved.
1: Uh, Carol, <laughs> yeah. This is Dave, Cronstein City Engineer, if we could uh, go through and do uh, the uh, roll call on approving the minutes, we'd like to do that. Jenny, can you go ahead?
2: Yeah. Okay. Um, Steve Evans moved. Um, David Balcus- Baltuska. Yay. Yay. Okay, Carol Bowen. Yes. Nick Kuzmiak. Yes. Aaron Payton. Yes. Uh, Court Buffington. Yes. Patricia Killett is absent. Charlie Bryan. Yes. And Gregory Critchlow. Yes. Thank you.
5: Are we ready to start the agenda now? We are ready. Okay. Um, first off, we need to receive staff presentation of the 2022 street maintenance program.
1: Commissioner Brown, this is Dave the Engineer. First, uh, we have the uh, public comment item if you'd like to uh, receive public comment. <laughs>
5: Michael?
11: Yes, thank you very much, Commissioner Bowen. Um, I would like to share my screen. Um, I wanna discuss the, the plan for the raised, the raised bikeway crossings for the Lawrence Loop at 29th and Haskell Lane. Um, and if I could share my screen. If you can see that. uh, This is where it all started in. uh, Oh, wait a minute. Sorry, I pulled up the wrong document. That's close, but no cigar. (laughs) Uh, I thought I was already here.
5: Folks, while Michael is looking for his document, I just need to apologize. I took an antihistamine. I'm having a hard time staying awake.
11: (laughs) Okay, sorry for that delay. Um, Now I will share my screen of this document. Yes, Okay. Uh, like I said, this is where it all began in 2016 when this traffic engineer took some uh, traffic counts for traffic that was cut through from Haskell Avenue on 29th Street and then South on Haskell Lane to 31st. 236 cut through cars an hour make that that turn there. This, of course, is the construction of 29th Street of the Lawrence Loop that will cross Haskell Lane right there, which you had instructed staff a year ago to make a raised crosswalk, raised bikeway crossing. Um, The problem, of course, being that here's the Lawrence Loop crossing. Traffic does a very rapid uh, S curve right through this area. Um, some 236 cars an hour, one every 15 seconds making this rapid S curve right across where that crossing is. So that's basically the context and you as commissioners were very wise to indicate a raised crosswalk there Um, or bikeway crossing, excuse me. Now this document that. I, can you see this document now? Hello? Yes. Yes, okay. we can see it. Okay, good. Um, the problem with the crossings in these two loop sections of, of, that are being built is that they're not really functioning to slow or deter traffic. This is a very effective crossing 15th street the Burroughs Creek Trail. There's another one very similar of the Naismith Valley Trail on 27th Street. Very aggressive six foot uh, approach and the approach is convex so it's definitely a bump that you feel. Unfortunately at 10th and Delaware this is the crossing being built that approach is 18 feet on the west and 12 feet on the east which is barely a slope at all, you hardly notice you're going up and down. It's not particularly a problem here because this street is an entrance to a parking lot, basically, for Allen Press. But still, it's it's not what was presented in the field check plans August 3rd last year. It was only 10 feet approach instead of 18 feet or 12. The problem, however, is on 29th Street. The approach is essentially, it looks like seven feet. When they presented this last August, they didn't give you any dimensions on these raised crossings. Nobody knew how they were gonna be designed. And in fact, this one has turned out very different. There's good reason why it did, but this is the one that's a problem because the construction manager has told me that this one was gonna be only four inches high if you've ever dr- driven across the Vermont Street raised crosswalk at the Journal World Building, what used to be the Journal World Building, that's a four inch raised crossing. You don't even know it's there. This crossing at 29th Street is going to be completely ineffective. The whole process for the last five years comes down to this design not doing what we set out to do five years ago and what you wanted staff to design so it would effectively slow down traffic and deter them. When somebody cuts through, instead of going down Haskell Avenue, they take Haskell Lane, they will save nine seconds on their commute. That's it. So this design needs to increase that travel time by at least nine seconds, hopefully more, and slow down the cut through traffic at least to 20 miles an hour. A four foot high raised bikeway crossing will not do that. I think it's imperative that the commission ask staff why they're designing these to be the least effective possible for deterring and slowing motor vehicles. And also ask them what they plan to do instead to trend to tr- uh, change this design. at this state of the game, if they're gonna make these six inches instead of four, the approaches are gonna have to be adjusted as well. They're not gonna wanna do that, but they've backed themselves into this corner by designing it that way. So I think you need to ask them those questions. Um, I know generally in public comment, you don't discuss it, but we're down to the wire here. This is gonna go into construction. The curbs are already being poured for the, for the, the uh, loop, the bikeway to the west of here. So this has to happen one way or another and five years of, of trouble and costs are gonna go down the tubes unless something different is done here. So thank you for your time and I hope uh, you can make some, some adjustments here.
5: Thank you, Michael. Um, I know we're not supposed to do a discussion, but David, do you have some comments on this?
1: This is Dave Cronin, city engineer. Um, I don't, I'm not prepared to sp- speak about this. This, I'm unaware of any details on this until right now. So um, we have a, we have design plans that have been bid and the contractors falling through on those plans and um, Other than that, I don't have anything else at this at this point, but I could certainly follow up with staff and. uh, Inform all what
0: we're what we're doing. Thank you, that would be good.
7: Thank you, MMTC. Sorry, Carol. Just one real quick thing. Dave, if I can, um, what do the engineering design standards say or the. uh, Design standards say as is there a standard approach angle and height for a raised crosswalk? Hi, uh, This is Jake Baldwin, engineering program manager. And I'll, I'll jump in, David, if you don't mind. Um, I, I pulled up the plans, of course, um, while we were receiving comment. Um, the, the, the standard detail for a crossing, which um, I'm not sure exactly how old that, that detail is. I think it goes back at least till, to 2019. And it is what is used as, as designing these plans calls for that four inch height. So essentially the contractor's building to what we asked him to do with our standard detail. Thank
0: you for the clarification. Thanks Jake.
3: Well, I, I'm, I'm kind of compelled to jump in here too. Um, I was in the minority on this, um, this solution way back when, when we went with, uh, race crosswalk and um, I I really hope that um, between Jake and Dave that um, they can get back with us um, either via, you know, I I really think we should hear something sooner rather than wait a month. Um, If I recall, this was a pretty lively meeting with Mr. Zaremba and other people from the businesses along 29th and Haskell Lane, and um, I, I personally um, really think uh, I don't bike this area as much as I used to. But uh, when I did, I always felt uncomfortable um, at this at this Haskell Lane intersection. So um, this is a little uh, little uh, concerning to me, and I, I I agree with Michael. I think we ought to you know get get some response from the engineers as soon as we can michael did you want
5: to add to
11: that uh thank you ms bowen um i just wanted to point out that there is no standard detail design for a raised bikeway crossing or a raised sidewalk crossing there are different designs for approaches some of that are convex some of that are concave some that are a uh, straight slope and they have a different impact on the vehicle and the speed, uh, how much you feel them. Um, there's also no standard for the height. The one at 10th and Delaware is six inches high. So staff is trying to present this as it's consistent and it's standard. Well, no, it's not, I, I, I'm sorry. This is Commissioner
4: O'Brien. I'm just wondering if we can get um, some follow-up from staff on this item and move on with the rest of our agenda.
1: Dave, the engineer, we will follow up with you on this item and send everyone our standard detail. Thank Thank you. you.
0: This is Commissioner
4: Bryan. Just before we move on, as part of that follow-up, Uh, Mr. Allman's referring to a few other uh, traffic calming measures on other streets. Uh, I'd just like to make sure that we're understanding whether those are raised crossings or if they are in fact some other feature that might have a different design standard. Thanks.
5: I think this is Commissioner Bowen. I think my big concern is whether or not it's effective. If it's not effective, then why are we doing it? Any other comments? Okay, can we move along then? And we're gonna look at the maintenance program.
0: Jake, is that why you're here tonight?
1: This is Dave Krohn, city engineer. Steve Lashley uh, will be presenting that and I'm looking for him on the screen. Yeah,
13: he's here. I'm here.
1: Oh, Ah, there you are.
13: We're good to go. You
1: have a different background.
13: (laughs) Different location. (laughs) Um, Good evening, commission. This is Steve Lashley. I'm a senior project engineer with MSO. Um, We provided a summary and uh, what we're looking at this evening is the 2022 street maintenance program. And uh, I'll go ahead and start sharing my screen as I'm talking here so we can start looking at the map. Um, Can we all see the map here? This interactive map is linked within the summary. Uh, The city commission uh, adopted a budget of approximately 5.6 million dollars, uh, which includes for the street maintenance program, which includes mill overlay, uh, surface sealing, some concrete rehabilitation, as reflected on this interactive program um, map. Um, these pink locations; these are patching and microsurface uh, locations. Some of the, the blue locations are mill overlay, curb and gutter. Red uh, mill and overlay. As shown, um, and we also have multiple concrete rehabilitation locations that we're uh, looking at doing some work on as well. As part of our program uh, review, we consult the bikeway um, map to determine if there's a bike facility such as sharrows or bike lanes that should be included with the project. Um, A review summary of those recommendations uh, are provided um, using the bikeway, uh, bike plan facility level of comfort uh, model and matrix, and that is attached um, to this agenda item. Um, For example, the recommendations uh, included providing shared lane markings or the sharrows uh, multiple locations where the existing width of a street, for example, uh, you know, 27 foot back to back, that sort of thing. Uh, but tobacco curb, tobacco curb uh, with um, uh, wouldn't necessarily accommodate uh, the inclusion of bike lanes. So we looked at multiple locations where uh, this recommendation would be uh, actually to include those sharrows. Um I guess to highlight there uh, and noted in the summary, there are two collector street locations, uh, Grand Vista Drive and uh, Grand Vista Drive up here uh, north of where Monterey actually turns into Grand Vista Drive. Uh, There's already existing bike lanes on uh, Monterey Way uh, that we would be reestablishing as part of our projects as well. So anything in the existing facility, we would reestablish as part of the project. But in this particular case, we would be adding uh, or proposing uh, as part of our recommendations, adding bike lanes on Grand Vista Drive um, location, as well as um, further south here on Crossgate Drive. Um, There's multiple shared uh, use paths that already exist in these locations along 27th Street as well as Inverness Drive and um, our recommendation here on uh, the cross gate uh, is to include a conventional bike lane. Um, staff is bringing uh, the program to commission um, for recommendations to proceed with uh, the proposed facilities as presented. Um, there's any questions or comments um, please uh, you know let me know if there's any further recommendations aside from what has already been um, attached in the suggestions uh, using that uh, level comfort model and matrix um,
0: That's why I'm here this evening.
7: Questions for Steve? Hey, Kuzmiak MMTC may as well kick it off. So I uh, I did some, I don't know, tried to glance through this table of projects as best as I could and just kind of get a feel for what was going on and, and where. Um, what I noticed is that there was quite a few places where I think the table said something like it's too it's too narrow for bike lanes, but based on kind of on on the ground knowledge and some quick confirmation through Google Earth's measurement tool, um, I guess I'd like to maybe offer a rebuttal to a couple of those. So I would say for Louisiana, the street appears to be 28 feet wide, which would definitely accommodate two 10-foot car lanes, um, which does comply with the street design standards. But you could also get two four-foot buffered bike lanes as well on top of that. So Obviously, the biggest issue is going to be those traffic calming minions that are right out in front of LHS. And I guess I'm curious with the, is it a Nolan Overlay curb and get better on Louisiana, like a full rehab, basically? Is there a chance that, I mean, we can use this opportunity to make some really good bike infrastructure for, you know, a subset of the population who is probably using bikes a lot as they are not quite full drivers yet?
13: The recommendation is based on, and just that with the islands, the the width constriction, uh, wouldn't um, necessarily allow for the bike lanes a continuance of those uh, in a contiguous uh, manner along that corridor. So, in following what we've um, already did on the southern portion, and even further south at 23rd, we uh, were are going to. We're re- recommending and proposing to maintain uh, those demarcations with the sharrows along that corridor. So, yeah, it's those kind of bottleneck locations that become the problematic uh, location to be able to uh, maintain a bike, long- bike lane through those stretches.
7: Excuse me, Eric MMTC. Thanks. That's kind of how I understood it. Um, I'm curious with this full and overlay curb and gutter redo, is I mean, do you basically just run a I guess a miller machine I don't know what it's actually called just straight down the road and it just demolishes everything would those barriers basically be demolished during the milling process
13: the intent is to remove and replace the curb and gutters uh to establish a proper gutter pan for drainage and what have you but the milling then is in between those uh of the milling of the existing asphalt surfaces in between those curb lines but No, the intent is to not damage any existing facility we want to retain and that those uh, islands would be retained as part of this
7: project. I see. So all right, that makes sense from a technical standpoint. I guess from kind of an overall goals perspective, though, if the idea of those um, traffic calming raised medians is to slow traffic, Um, I mean, if we were to take the lane width down to 10 feet and add a um, some kind of buffered or protected bike lane on either side, would that not also perhaps slow the traffic because you're going to a narrow lane as well as additional visual distractions that serve to kind of just not distract the driver, but indicate to the driver that they're in a bit more of a shared space. I mean, would you still be getting roughly the same, you know, level of efficiency from just making the street more narrow while also as a side benefit now providing better amenities for bicycle riders.
13: Forgive me for not uh, mentioning the Steve Lashley, senior project engineer starting out that way. Um, The intent is not to to, uh, alter any existing, type of facility the with the pedestrian crossings or the islands at these particular locations is to rehab the pavement surface uh in particular and as part of putting that pavement back down we would restart re-establish any uh pavement markings that existed prior so any of those extensions like the gore i say the gore areas but any of those center areas that are hatched out or double yellows that um you know delineate up and uh, to and from the uh, uh, the islands would be reestablished as part of the project, but not not any major alterations to any uh, type of uh, traffic existing traffic calming de- devices or pedestrian type of crossings. We are, we are actually uh, doing a couple inlets and some ADA um, enhancements or improvements to ramp locations, um, but we're not. Gonna- the plan is not to currently alter any um, median island or traffic calming device.
5: Carol Bowen, commissioner. Um, The pedestrian islands are very important. They're the only way we can get across the street. Is there a way to take more right of way around those islands to maintain the width of the, the lanes?
13: Steve Lashley, senior project engineer. Uh, as part of our rehab uh, rehabilitation projects, the typical uh, project is not, we're not doing major geometric changes with you know, the width of street. And that's like um, some of these other residential streets, um, we're, that's why we're going you know, to Sherrows. We're not physically altering, or planning on altering the width of streets uh, to or adding even shared use paths. Um, to, uh, I guess, be economically feasible to rehab the street without, um, you know, increasing the scope uh, uh, and utilizing those, you know, dollars towards, you know, major uh, type of work and alterations, I
7: guess, in short. Excuse me, Kuzmiak MMTC. So it sounds like what I'm hearing then is that because this is the process that is in place, that when a street degrades to a certain amount, then it kind of gets in the queue for street repairs. Those street repairs don't really allow for any kind of wiggle room, like you said, in changing the geometry or the usage or the right-of-way or really anything. I guess my question is, when East 19th Street degraded to the point where it really needed to be replaced, why did that go to a consultant for a total redesign when this street that's right in front of the original Lawrence High School with a lot of other users that aren't drivers, how did that somehow escape a full geometric redesign to make it kind of make more sense for the users that it actually has? It just seems like I'm not entirely sure how these two streets led to two very different outcomes. So Dave, I don't know if that's a question for you or Jacob, but if someone could kind of educate me on how two, you know, degrading streets look so different when they're in the design process.
1: Sure, Uh, Dave Cronin, city engineer. Um, Tonight's program's mainly focused on uh, pavement maintenance and preservation. And so, um, you know, a lot of these treatments are to preserve the street and to, to, to lengthen the life of the street. Um, at some point, um, the street may need to be reconstructed. 19th Street had gotten to that point. We had d- done some maintenance work on it. And um, at some point, um, it. And there was there was a lot of additional factors with that, with subgrade issues that we had um, on that stretch. That uh, it it we recommended rebuilding it. It was more cost effective for us to reconstruct it. And with those reconstruction projects, we have a little more opportunity to um, you know to build what we what we need for the future, including uh, bike facilities and. Um, get, getting a right of way and doing utility relocations, and um, and so, yeah, it, it, some of it's just uh, a lot of it has to do with the condition of the street, and so we do, That's why we're we're trying to uh, use our pavement maintenance dollars the best that we can to keep preserving the streets that we have um, until we get to a point where where we need to rebuild them. Um, and so that's that's what I would say that the difference is.
7: Kuzmiak MMTC. <clears throat> that makes sense. I had I mistakenly assumed that they were at the same level of, you know, pavement degradation, but they're not. So, okay. So, basically, the trigger to rebuild hadn't been hit. So, because of that, it's just under regular street maintenance. We're doing the best with the budget that we have. I got it. I'm on board. Um. So, that means that then the comments I had for Barker and Haskell are pretty much the same thing. Or, oh, sorry, for Barker and I want to say there's another one where it's, it's kind of similar to Louisiana, right? Where it's, it's already kind of traffic calm with those, um, those medians. Um, Haskell though is kind of interesting because it is also a 28-foot wide street, but it does not have any traffic coming on it. So I'm curious as to what your thoughts are on the opportunity to put some some sort of protected bike lanes in on Haskell, which is a pretty heavily traveled street by all users.
13: Steve Lashley, senior project engineer. Uh, again, it, com- it comes down to the the width of the street. And, um, and typically we are looking at, um, for example, the Grand Vista and the Crossgate. We feel that the recommendation is appropriate for a street of that width to include a conventional bike lane, but that um, Haskell, I believe, Uh, we have um, shared lane markings that exist on the road. So it'd be a continuance of utilizing those sharrows
7: on those locations. Thank you, Zemeck, MMTC. I would be really curious to hear what the actual street width, curb to curb is of Haskell because the street design standards mandate at least a 10 foot minimum uh, uh, lane width for collector streets, which I believe Haskell is. And I mean, if you only need 20 feet, then for for that, you still have eight foot of the rest of the curb curb width to work with, which sounds pretty good for some sort of bike lanes. I mean, I may have measured it wrong on Google Earth, but I'm hoping somebody can kind of correct me on what the actual width of the street is here.
0: Steve, so actually senior project engineer, I'm taking a look into that now.
7: Thanks. And, so, and apologies for the rest of the MMTC for all the technical questions. I just, as an engineer, um, this is sort of, we wheelhouse. Obviously, I'm not the same kind of engineer, but you am not know, familiar enough with plans and, and projects. And I also am on, on Haskell almost every day, on foot or on bike or with the stroller, so. This one
0: kind of is a personal one here.
13: Steve Lashley, Senior Project Engineer. Yeah, the width is greater uh, on this on um, this corridor, as you had mentioned. I just I know that uh, it wasn't a location that we particularly recommended having the conventional bike lane on the corridor. We had uh, Sharrows, uh along uh, that corridor to the south. And it was more of uh, uh, maintaining a contiguous uh, type of demarcation on the location. But if that's uh, a location that we want uh, commission wants staff to further review, we can uh, definitely do that. If that's uh, one of the recommendations that um, the commission is uh, wanting us to look uh, further at as part of the proposed facilities.
5: Commissioner Bowen, um, is this the same program that we looked at last year, and we said, "What about socioeconomic choices? How did we choose the streets?" Is this is this the same program?
13: Steve Lashley, senior project engineer, uh, I believe. Yes, there were some questions that come up. Uh, Uh, concerning how much work is being done uh, in various locations, just the distribution and how the determinations are made. Uh, The PCI, the Pavement Condition Index is what drives uh, the program. So various levels of PCI, whether you know the score is very high, maybe it's only a crack ceiling or you know it becomes uh, you know a surface seal when we get into some more of the minor rehabilitations like the mill and overlays, things of that nature, or more of a major rehab, but the concrete uh, rehab or curb and gutter type of work. But uh, ultimately, we look at the at the distribution, um, uh, the modeling. Um, the predictor modeling that we're utilizing to tell us, you know, where is our best dollar spent, you know, the cost effective approach. And a lot of that is, you know, driving to, um, uh, takes into account a level of service. A lot of, uh, arterials collectors come up, um, a lot of surface sealing. Um, unfortunately, the, the program is telling us that we need approximately 11 million dollars a year to spend towards streets to maintain our pci level however we're looking at you know uh you know 5.6 million in um you know, maintenance work in particular. And then we also have our backlog. So yes, it becomes very challenging, you know, when we're querying or questioning, uh, looking at the system to get answers, you know, to get, you know, the, using the data to back our determinations. And we try to, you um, Propose an appropriate balance of type of work. So, if you you know, with our microsurfacing, the mill and overlays, and the rehabs uh, and and as well as being across the city, there is a link that we provided um, on the uh, on the agenda item. And if I could get back to that here, and I'll go ahead and share that. We have a comprehensive street maintenance map that uh, essentially shows the last five to six years of as-built uh, projects and distribution across the city. So it'll give you kind of like a broad uh, look at um, how much work has been done across the city um, over the various years. So 2016 here is shown in, in red. Um, I think a lot of this uh, was a lot of crack ceiling but we had multiple different mill and overlays intersection improvements um, and uh, 2017 in the orange uh, in various locations uh, across the city. but I think it just in terms of a just a at a glance uh, overview, it gives you a good perspective of um, locations all over the city that were uh working on and trying to maintain an appropriate balance between the type of work um and and where we're you know that we're working on residentials arterials and collectors uh it becomes uh obviously overall uh a challenge with uh, a backlog of streets and then in some cases some of those major backlogs become uh cip projects and reconstruction like the 19th street for example
5: Steve, um, I wanted to follow up on that, and uh, I don't want to make your life more difficult, but I keep thinking about the pedestrian. And there are neighborhoods where the pedestrians walk in the streets. So if the street is crumbling, not only does it affect the vehicles, the bicycles, and all that stuff, it affects the pedestrians too. Is there any way we can maybe some year focus on that?
13: As part of as part of the uh, maintenance projects, we do include um, ADA enhancements. You know, at location existing locations where a uh, facility uh, needs to be brought up to current standards. Um, so I know that we are improving uh, pedestrian accessibility at various corners and locations, and those tie-ins. Um, so I believe we are being pretty aggressive um, uh, on those items, and even on some of our microsurface streets. Uh, any of the ADA facilities uh, that are directly adjacent or along that corridor uh, will be addressed. Um, along with that, uh, but it's primarily on those uh, the ADA ramp areas in particular. Okay, I.
0: I-
5: I'm not explaining myself well. Um, I'm not counting on ramps or sidewalks. I'm saying people are walking in the street and if the street has a, I don't know, is it a high PCI or a low PCI? If the street is crumbling, then nobody can walk on it. And there is no sidewalk. It's not part of the picture and it may never happen given our budget. Um, Is there any way we could do an overlay of the streets that have a, is it the low PCI? If if it's a low PCI, can we find the neighborhoods that do not have sidewalks as another layer?
1: This is Dave Cronin, the engineer. Uh, Commissioner Bowen, currently our program, we're, we're not able to do that or factor that in. We haven't before. So if they're, you know, we're trying to, um, you know, this is mainly focused on street preservation and surface preservation. A lot of these techniques um, are could, could be crack sealing or a thin overlay, and it, sometimes it doesn't get at the root of some of the isolated issues where we have potholes or failures. Then we we can go back in there beforehand and cut those out and do base treatments if there's uh, holes in the pavement. So some of that can be done with uh, our internal street maintenance if there's if there's issues on streets that we need to go out and address outside of this program isolated issues that we can do that um, through our internal street maintenance um, but but currently we don't do any modeling of pedestrian activity or um, prioritization of our streets if there's no sidewalks. It's we're strictly trying to um preserve all of the streets in Lawrence uh the best that we can to get the highest PCI and that's that has been our approach.
5: Are there any other questions for Steve?
14: Or Buffington uh MTC. I'm this, this is going to sound loaded, so Steve, Dave, please don't take it that way. I'm trying to understand that I understand this is a maintenance program. I understand it is trying to maintain what we have, but I, I've been listening here trying to find out what, what the criteria is for uh, what staff's recommendations are, and I think what I heard, if I may paraphrase a little bit to check my understanding, is that is that Staff's recommendations is going to be about main, about repairing, maintaining these streets to maintain a status quo for what we already have today for facilities. And by maintaining status quo, I mean not uh, advancing any of the city's initiatives or priorities to improve bicycle or pedestrian. It is the choices are made to stretch the dollars as far as you can to maintain the design that is there. Is that correct? And did I make sense at all?
13: Steve, Steve Lashley, senior project engineer. No, I understand. Um, And I think in in a lot of cases, if you, you know, review the, uh, the summary here, the, that derived from the matrix, there's a lot of locations that we are actually able to improve, you know, level of comfort, um, Uh, Well, in a lot of cases, you know, it's maintaining it, but at least getting uh, additional demarcation out there to provide those visual cues and improvement. We believe it is improvement, um, you know, not only for the bike rider to know where, you know, where they can anticipate where they're supposed to be versus you know a vehicle anticipating it's like hey i'm I'm supposed to expect a bicycle to be on the road so those improvements in some cases not necessarily improvement the level of comfort which the goal is to be at a loc of three or better but um it ultimately um enhances the ability of the bicycle um um you know, those visual cues for the the drivers as well. But uh, in some cases we are improving from an LLC to uh, of a two to a one, two to one in multiple occasions of four to a three things of that nature and inclusion of a bike lane. Um, I don't know if that's the answer your question, but I think the goal is to see where we can improve it with the, uh, adding the type of facility in there, um, for, such as a conventional bike lane and um, Sharrows, where it's feasible. I,
14: Go ahead. Cor Buffington, I see that now on your matrix. Uh, apologize for missing it earlier.
5: Can we bring it back to the commission?
9: Commissioner
10: Baltoska. I just had a quick question. Um, I'm curious if there's a standard uh, for speed limit where we're proposing, you know, putting shares back into the roads that have shares. I understand that. Um, is there any kind of standard for a speed limit that's too high to? you know, that would preclude the city from recommending putting sharrows on a road.
13: Steve Lashley, senior project engineer, that is correct. The matrix actually uh, works that way. It won't recommend placement of the sharrows if the speed is um, 35 or greater. So basically it needs to be under 35 for it to even recommend uh, utilization of those sharrows. So in a lot of those cases on, you'll see on the uh, uh, attachment there that the speed limits are all 30 where those uh, include the marked shared lanes is recommended.
4: This Commissioner Brian, is there uh, this matrix, is it also? Have a standard then for the conventional bike lane in terms of the speed limit.
13: I believe so. Uh, yes. go ahead. Dave
1: Cronin, city engineer. Yes, and the um, it's in the bikeway design guide, which is part of the bikes the bike plan. But th- there is criteria on on the bike lane as well, the conventional bike lane.
4: This Commissioner, Brian, what is that criteria for the speed limit?
1: Let me pull it up. This is the um, bikeway design guide in the bike plan. And um, this is the, the, um, the graphic here on the upper right gives you a range, but it gives you potential and preferred. So if that helps answer your question, I guess the preferred speed limit is between 25 and 40, but up to 50 is um would have the potential to have a bike lane conventional bike lane is basically five foot bike lane minimum not buffered that's the definition I guess of the conventional bike lane so um I'll scroll through here and there's a uh, criteria on other facilities as well buffered bike lane it, it's not not much different or really any different, I guess. If, if you're looking at that, it looks pretty similar to me. 25 to 40 is preferred and potential up to 50. Um, the sh- the Sharers that Steve mentioned are... Like, <laughs> <board. clears throat> I think they're up here. There we go, 35, 35 miles per hour and less.
4: Mr. Commissioner Bryan, I appreciate you showing us this um, the bike plan and how it establishes our policy around conventional bike lanes. Thank
10: you. Commissioner Baltuska, uh yeah, thanks for that info. Uh, I was just wondering if there's any sort of, I know like, you know, using the budget well, repaving the street, maintaining the road uh, doesn't necessarily prompt, you know, trying to redesign the modes and the lanes. Um, but I'm wondering if if there would be anything that would prompt uh, looking at the speed limit. Uh, I know, you know, simple reduction in speed limit would probably, uh, you know, increase level of comfort. And if there is the goal of increasing level of comfort on these roads, uh, are any of these speed limits proposed to be reduced or are they all as a standard, just being maintained as the same.
1: This is Dave Cronus, the engineer. We're not making any recommendations to change any of the speed limits, and we don't um, review that as part of our street maintenance program. Um, you know, if we if we were to look at the speed limits, um, we need to do a separate traffic study, and we don't. And we also try not to arbitrarily. Lower speed limits, particularly on collector and arterial streets. Now, we just went through um, with our neighborhood Traffic Management Program and installed 25 mile per hour signs on local streets, 25 mile per hour speed limits um, if it wasn't posted uh, lower than that. Um, But on streets like Louisiana, um, uh, Haskell, uh, Crossgate, those are collector streets, um, and we would not recommend just lowering the speed limit just, just to do it or improve the perception of comfort.
7: Nick Kuzmiak, MMTC. So when it comes to comfort, I would assume that there is a, d- a d- difference in level of comfort with unprotected bike lanes, you know, a.k.a. a stripe of paint and protected, which can be anywhere from probably those plastic ballers that you can just run over to actual jersey barriers to just parking buffer to just something that a car would know that they're crossing a line instead of just, oops, there's the paint, right? Um, I- I'm looking through the bike plan and I'm not seeing any obvious recommendations to start building protected bike lanes, only that a lot of survey respondents specifically asked for them. And if we're trying to increase level, wait, sorry, reduce level of comfort for cyclists, then it's, you know, it it does seem like this is a good opportunity even if we don't have the width to get that physical buffer of some kind of planted median or trees or something between bikes and cars. I mean, the least we can do is just put something physical in between them. Um, I know that does cost more, of course, but looking at I mean, I would bet if you looked at the budget for how much a mill overlay curb and gutter costs for something like Monterey, which I, I realized that's not the treatment going on for Monterey, but just for example, you know, and then compare that with the cost of either striping or adding some, a little bit of a concrete barrier to a bike lane. I have a feeling it would be a huge difference in cost. And I'm gonna probably harp on this again on our, our next agenda item, but during our retreat earlier this year, maybe it's 2020, It was recently Um, city commissioners kind of hinted that they they would like to see more of a a balanced focus between all the various modes of transportation, given that we are the multimodal transportation commission and not just the car transportation commission. And I kind of took that to imply that they would be comfortable with seeing not necessarily reallocation of a budget from cars to other modes, but you know, just a recognition that there is a huge disparity in what gets. Uh, funded in the city. So I guess the, that's why I'm kind of pushing a little hard here for just some sort of bike infrastructure that non cyclists would actually be comfortable on. So I know cyclists like myself or Damon or Court would probably be comfortable enough on a, a 35 mile an hour road with a stripe of paint. We're just rel- we're relatively used to something like that. But my mother-in-law would absolutely not. And if we want other people to bike who aren't just cyclists who are out there for exercise, we're going to have to be a little bit more serious about making it safer for everybody. And that was the whole idea around bicycle boulevards and stuff like that. So I feel like this is a great opportunity while the contractors are already out there with the concrete and the paving equipment to just add something else. Um, And I realize that that's not explicitly in in the policy that street maintenance does not mean that you can also just start changing the geometry. But if by changing, we only mean, you know, slightly narrowing a lane width or Striping a bike lane. It doesn't seem like that big of a change. Honestly, it's not like we're acquiring extra right away or requiring a consultant engineer, right? So I'm kind of posing this question to MMTC then as a whole. Do we kind of believe in the mission of providing for all modes of transportation enough that we're willing to push back on a couple of these that there may be an opportunity for an increased um, bike service? I mean, I for one would push, but I don't want to be kind of a MNTC of one here. So the ones I'm speaking about specifically are Haskell, which is actually on the future bikeway plan. So the city's recognized this is a place where bikes are going to eventually be. Monterey is the other one where the bike lanes (laughs) I've been on those before and it's kind of this long, lonely, straight, fast road. And it's a very cynical 35 mile an hour top speed where 35 is like kind of a suggestion. It's straight, it's wide open. Who's going to do 35 unless you're in the jalopy. So um, it's, it's streets like those that really could use some kind of more serious like infrastructure. So I don't know if we're even doing motions here, but if, if there was an opportunity, I would really encourage us to look at both Haskell and the two Monterey projects as a really good opportunity to kind of take this maintenance program to the next level and push the boundaries of what was normally, I guess, planned here. So anyway, I'd love to hear your thoughts.
5: Carol Bowen, commissioner. Um, I'd like to follow up on those comments. I think if we're really serious about being multimodal that we need to start moving forward and rather than make big projects out of everything, doing it gradually
0: as it comes along seems like a perfect way to do it.
14: Cor Buffington, MMTC. All right, I wasn't going to say anything, but Nick, you mentioned me by name, so I do want to say, and I will say for the record, that as someone who probably would classify as an experienced cyclist with a great deal of confidence, I find sharrows and white stripes absolutely and utterly useless. Inexperienced cyclists that that glean a greater level of comfort because they exist are experiencing, in my opinion, a placebo effect. So That's that. That has nothing much to do with this other than that's how I feel about them. Uh, As for the program, that's why I asked the questions earlier. Our agenda item is to receive the staff presentation. I don't see anything there that says that we're um, uh, have any real action other than receive that presentation. Uh, I heard a program described that has a set of Criteria and goals given to it about uh, maintaining that quality of the pavement. Number one, and thank you, Steve, for pointing out what I missed in the in the uh, matrix that where it has has been you know easier, convenient. There have been some in, improvements to level of comfort. So, rather, I guess I'm saying rather than look at what's been proposed to us and take an issue or objection with it, I think if we feel strongly about wanting to push other modes of transportation other than, than you know cars and trucks, bicycle and pedestrian, what we need to do is work towards changing the rules around programs like this to change what the priorities are. I feel like the answers from city staff are that they've followed the program guidance and rules that have been given to them and done what they were asked to do and as MMTC, I would say that the challenge to us is to change those rules if we don't think that's creating improved equity to other forms of transportation. And boy, that was a lot of words.
7: Thank you, MMTC. Um, Court, that kind of reminds me of something that Steve uh, Lashley said earlier um, when we were talking about Haskell, that if there if there was interest in maybe adding some sort of bike lanes, I don't think the mention of protected or stripe was was there, but it sounds like there was a possibility to at least kick that back to staff if we felt strongly enough as MMTC. So Steve, I don't know if I heard you wrong, but it sounds like there maybe is a potential for input here. Is that correct?
1: This is Dave Cronin, the engineer. Uh, I'll, I'll jump in, uh, Steve. Um, there is an opportunity. Um, I think really we're, tr- we're trying to take a programmatic approach with a lot of our infrastructure um, street maintenance, stormwater, sidewalks, uh, bike facilities, so that we're in when we're when we're in a corridor that we're that we can you know, fix other uh, infrastructure. We're, we also look at water and sewer as well to see how we prioritize uh, our street maintenance and and timing on those. And when we do. Um, make other improvements on the corridor. Where we use those program funds. So if we were also, uh, you know, upgrading the sewer, redoing the sewer line, we'd use sewer funds. Same, same with curb, uh, curb and gutter and inlets. We would use stormwater funds. So I think the opportunity to make more substantial bikeway improvements um, to get at the desired level of comfort um, would be to use our uh, bicycle and pedestrian program funds. And those are the funds <clears throat> that we use for the non-motorized project prioritization. Um, and it would involve a discussion on reprioritizing the projects that are planned in that five-year plan to bump some of these up. So uh, while while we have the ability to use straight, street maintenance funds, um, to uh, put to curb ramps when we're uh, doing mill and overlay adjacent to curb ramps and and pavement markings, we can use those funds for those items. We um, are not going to recommend using maintenance dollars to widen the street to have buffered bike lanes or do any other major improvements. Um, and so. Um, feel free to keep pushing at us on that, but we're also trying to preserve, you know, the pavement of the street and and that's what these program dollars are for. And so when we have enough uh, ability to to add bike facilities in the interim until we have, until some of these streets um, um, are reconstructed or, are prioritized to have standalone bicycle projects that's really uh our recommendation uh for the street maintenance funds and so um we certainly I certainly appreciate the conversation on trying to make uh, the best improvement possible that's what we uh want to do as well and, and so we we're, we're challenged with you know just the at the end of the day the the dollars that we have to fix all of our infrastructure and so that's um you know that's kind of our approach to this um and i think in in the bikeway plan there's also um uh some recognition of um of this as well on these maintenance projects that's that we that we need to do the best that we can to uh upgrade the level of comfort when we're doing street maintenance uh work um, until there's enough um until it gets to a point where, you know, this is a priority to do a standalone project for uh, whatever the the most comfortable facility would be for that um, type of street based off the speed and volume. Um, so if there's, it, I, I would I would say if there's any commissioners that are interested in reviewing a street a little more and have an idea to say, hey, maybe this treatment will work, on the street, we would be happy to take a look at that, um, and um, and on this agenda item, our our action would be to get a recommendation um, from the multimodal transportation commission and not just uh, receive the report or feedback. So if there, if if on a couple of these streets that we've recommended for a uh, conventional bike lanes, uh, Steve mentioned Crossgate and uh, Grand Vista where uh, we have 31 foot back to back curb street. And if the commission is not in favor of retrofitting bike lanes for uh, whatever reason, that that's the kind of uh, recommendation that we're seeking tonight.
7: Kuzmiak MMTC. Dave, I just wanted to clear up. I can understand and appreciate that different dedicated budgets have to go to those, the, you know, the infrastructure for which they were intended. I can appreciate that, but that's not exactly what I'm asking. For stuff like Haskell and Monterey, both sections of it, the bicycle infrastructure improvements that I'm alluding to do not take up any additional paved width. They would basically be narrowing lanes of the street which is still to engineering design standards and then they would be adding bike lanes also to engineering design standards um basically like you're saying doing the most with the street maintenance budget which is why we're here right so i don't see any conflict with the various funds that you would use otherwise like i don't see this as necessarily cribbing from what we put in the non-motorized project CIP, for example. Um, so I don't know if there's just a disagreement on that, if I'm just reading it wrong, but it seems to me that if we're not changing the right of way of the to curve with, or adding any other traffic calming devices, it still should fall under stream maintenance, right? I mean, based on everything I've heard so far, it sounds like there's not necessarily a no, if we were to ask to put some sort of protected bike lanes on Haskell, for example.
1: Dave Cronin, city engineer. Um, Monterey Way is um, the, I'm looking this up here. So we have our, our recommendations to reestablish the bike lanes and not, Is are we on the same page on that? And then Haskell was one that I uh, need to look at a little more um, with the street width to see if we could get bike lanes on it. But I mean, if we have enough width to get bike lanes, then we um, can look at doing that. Okay. And Monterey Way has bike lanes now and we're putting them back. So I don't know if we are disagreeing, um, but when you mentioned protected bike lanes, um, I can tell you there's not enough width on either of those streets to have protected bike lanes.
7: I don't mean buffered bike lanes. I mean some kind of physical barrier that doesn't have to be eight feet wide it just has to be a couple of inches that could be a concrete buffer it could be those uh, stanchions that have been used as as temporary installations just something um it could even be just kind of a lonely curb without the the rest of the sidewalk behind it just something to deter motorists going at pretty high speed from accidentally veering off into the bike lane where bikers are significantly more vulnerable at these high speeds on on monterey so does adding anything raised in the third dimension here, does that constitute something that is not really allowed under streaming maintenance program? Because if that's the case, I can kind of see why that would not be considered for this round.
1: Dave Krone the engineer. Yeah, inst- uh, installing any raised features is not something that we're uh, considering with bu- the maintenance program. So to put a separate curb and gutter in between the through lanes and the bike lanes is is not uh, is not an option that that we're that we're looking at.
5: Carol Bowen, Commissioner. Last year, we uh, we made the observation that the we felt there should have been some socioeconomic influence in our projects that we picked and city staff came back and they had that. I think that we should just collect. This is what I think. If you want to think something different, speak up. Um, Let's just make a list of things that you recommend and see what the staff can do with it.
13: This is Steve Lashley, Senior Project Engineer. To go back on the Haskell and 11th Street location and looking at the width uh, on the matrix, and I'm, I'm, I was looking closer here why, we, uh, why the recommendation fell where it was with the marked shared lanes. The conventional bike lane um, would not improve the level of comfort. It would remain a three, um, and the marked shared lane provides a level of comfort as three, three as well. So in terms of the lowest cost option and getting uh, that same level of comfort of three, uh, that was the recommendation. That's why it fell that,
7: that way. So. Excuse me, like MMTC, does that assume that cars drive the same speed in a 10 foot lane versus a, a uh, 13 to 14 foot lane?
13: It takes into co- account the posted speed, the uh, uh, average daily traffic.
7: In.
4: Okay. This is Commissioner Brian. I'm curious if we're trying to think about street maintenance and possibly how it might be more aggressive in terms of improving bicycle infrastructure. If a raised bike lane, how how that would, what's the impact of trying to do that in a street maintenance program. It from what I've understood, it's only a few inches of pavement. And I guess there must be some <clears throat> gradient between the you know regular surface and the raised bike lane. But I'm curious if if that's something that even could be considered. It goes, you know, it doesn't Create the kind of separation like a bollard or some other thing, but it does elevate the bicyclist slightly and it might create some greater sense of safety along a bike lane.
1: Yeah, Dave Kronis, the engineer. It, it really isn't for the uh, purposes of stormwater and drainage, and so you would need to have, um, if you're going to have a raised um, Bike lane or cycle track or side path, it would need to be, you would need to have a separate curb and gutter and storm sewer uh, to pick up the water. Um, So it all, you know, the roads crowned in the middle and straining towards the curb and gutter. And so um, anything in between would be a barrier for the stormwater. And some of these. Uh, areas where we retrofitted bike lanes a, a portion of the curb and gutter is used as the as uses is used as the bike lane um, which is not preferred I completely recognize that but um, it's in past practice and in our recommendations tonight it's uh, uh, better than not doing anything which was which is the other option is not to put in the striped The striped line. So, um, I hope that answers your question. But yeah, it's really mainly stormwater, and then at some point, you know, what's the what is you know what's the what is what's the definition of a buffer? You know, is it have a raised curb and then to have the separate facility? And if you're doing that, you need to really widen the street because you need to have you're going to take. some of the street width to have have the curbs in between. So um, really, in, if you're doing you know the, any more uh, substantial improvements than just a conventional bike lane, it really is a it gets into the the de- redesign of the street and uh, it's a more substantial project.
0: Thank you.
7: First of all, Carol, you're muted,
0: sorry.
5: Carol, you're muted. Still, there you go. We had two letters from the the community about white lines. Did we take care of that?
1: This is Dave Cronin, the engineer. We attached the course, there there was two uh, letters that are attached as correspondence um, and you know, before we receive any recommendation, I'd uh, ask you to also seek public comment on this item.
5: Michael.
11: Hi, good evening. This is Michael Allman speaking for the Sustainability Action Network. Um, when discussing the street maintenance program last year, the issue came up of in uh, adding what the city engineer calls conventional bicycle lanes, which we refer to as white stripe bicycle lanes. Um, and at that time, they added them to three, I think it was three uh, 45 mile an hour arterial streets. So it was already above the 40 mile an hour supposed limit which actually the limit potentially could go up to 50 miles an hour. But anyway, we objected, they went in anyway. Um, the problem, I mean, the, the dynamic problem is that every time this happens in the street maintenance program, we see what I like to call the, the creeping white striped bicycle lanes. They just, more and more of them creep into existence block by block, street by street, generally going to be foreclosing better options. And it's going to be years before those better options are in. And we don't agree that as the city engineer claims and the project, the the, the senior project engineer claims that the white stripe bicycle lanes are an improvement. We don't agree. the, the, the statistics that we provided, it was last year, which is in our letter, 65.4% of bicyclist deaths occur on 45 mile per hour arterial streets. Um, White-striped bicycle lanes on Folks Road and on Ninth Street is where in 2018, two experienced bicyclists, Uh, suffered serious injuries hospitalization injuries Uh, these are not safe they're what we like to refer to as attractive nuisance or as commissioner buffington said a placebo they really don't do they i mean where does this comfort level which we we refer to that as safety level or risk level it has nothing to do with comfort really uh, the city engineer says perceived comfort. Well, no, it's risk or safety. And adding these don't improve that. Um, so what we proposed, if you in our letter, and I have that on my screen, you could scroll right down and read it too, is the I mean, the city engineer says that the Lawrence Spikes plan design guide sets the policy no we don't have a policy those design standards as he calls them are simply by choice made by staff Um, it's the same as the standards that the city engineer purportedly pulled out of a hat for east 19th street and we all know that those standards were simply the choice of the city engineer so those standards are not a policy we don't have a policy And we've been presenting and proposing a policy for a year now. I spoke directly with four city commissioners. They're all concerned about the lack of safety in white-striped bicycle lanes. And the mayor has said that the Multimodal Transportation Commission is the body that should initiate that kind of a policy. So when our letter is the policy that we're draft at this point, I think you should take it up more formally at a meeting as an action item. Whenever a bikeway is included along a new street or added during reconstruction or maintenance of an existing street, it shall be physically separated from motor vehicle traffic by employing one of the following designs, buffered bicycle lanes, protected bicycle lanes, bicycle tracks, or shared use paths. White-striped bicycle lanes shall no longer be the default bikeway in the street maintenance program nor during street construction or reconstruction. However, they can be on local residential 25 mile per hour streets. So that's our proposal. Um, I would like you to direct staff to consider that as an action item on a future agenda, next month if possible, as soon as possible. Um, otherwise, we're just gonna see more and more of these dangerous white striped bicycle lanes. Um, As far as Commissioner Kuzmiak's idea, I like what he was saying uh, within the program itself. One thing he did mention was lane delineators, as he put it, the kind of things that you can drive over and they pop right back up. Um, The city has indicated they don't particularly like those because of street sweeping and snow plowing, but they can figure out a narrower street sweeper. They exist, five foot wide street sweepers uh, plowing, Parks and Recreation has plows to accommodate five feet. Um, and Haskell is 30 feet wide. Anywhere from 13th Street to 23rd Street, I must point out, which is my neighborhood, there's a lot of room adjacent to Haskell that would accommodate a bicycle track or a shared use path. There are a few sections where there are some residents, but in much of that, there's lots of space on the side. Um, Another possibility, how about where the white, if you want to do a white stripe on like a 30-foot wide street, so you have two 5-foot bicycle lanes, how about adding rumble strips? So when a car verges into that bicycle lane, they hear the rumble strip. How many of you out there have seen I see it all the time, cars always driving in the bicycle lane. I mean they do it all the time. It's it's insane. So we need a policy. We need we need some very clear design standards, particularly for the street maintenance program. Um, but you know, in general, we need to be looking at a broader use of uh, separated bicycle facilities because. As I pointed out in the Kansas Active Transportation Plan, people there also are saying paint is not protection. So thank you very much. And I hope that you follow through on this and continue.
0: Thank you, Michael. Gary?
12: Thank you, Vice Chair Bowen. Um, I'm here for a couple of things. The first, I wanna second Michael's assertion. I'm the um, co- consult- the uh, correspondence coordinator for the Healthy Built Environment Group of Limbwell. And we, we sent the second letter to you asking that you, uh, that painting white lines on arterials be abandoned and the bike lanes that offer protection uh, to be the standard in future roadways. So I wanna second Michael's request that you make that a formal policy that you don't put white-striped bike lanes on arterial 45-mile an hour streets. It's one instance where doing something is more dangerous than doing nothing, so please. Um, the second thing I want to talk about is uh, if Steve is still there, I want to ask Steve a question about uh, things that are on the plan that disappear. So if, if it's okay, I'd like to share my screen uh, real quickly, if that's all right. It's this one here, just a moment. Let's see if this comes up. This, um, Steve, this this is a 2019 um, comprehensive street maintenance plan. Let me see if I can back it out here so you can see that it's 2019's plan. Um, we've been having trouble with um, uh, deteriorating curbs in Sunset Hill for some time. We were really happy in 2019 to see this small section of Orchard included on the on the comprehensive plan. And this is uh, about three addresses on Orchard that uh, have the, the curb is completely gone. It's right here, right in about 20, let's see, I can tell you actually, here's our 2017 submission. Orchard Lane 2607 and 2611. That's what you see here in the 2019. However, when it got to 2020, they disappeared and I called street maintenance and they said that in 2020 they had very bad potholes and they had to use every bit of their money to improve the surface of the street and to look for them to go back on the list sometime in the future. Well, we looked in 20, they weren't there. We looked in 21, they weren't there. And now I see in 22, they're not there. So my question, Steve, is if you felt that these, these curbs were bad enough so that you needed to maintain them in 2019, after we'd been reporting them for three years prior, will they ever come back on, on your list of, of uh, street maintenance? Can we look for them to return? With
13: the data hey have, all streets are considered. Every street needs some type... Again, Steve Lashley, senior project engineer. All streets need some type of maintenance, whether it's from crack seal uh, to a major rehab or potential curb and gutter uh, type of work. Um, I think that one you were shown there, it looked like it was maybe on an internal street maintenance uh, list for some internal type of work. I think they had done... Uh, a couple locations i would have to look into it and see um, if that was one that was accomplished or might not have been able to be accomplished through the year and maybe it might have been deferred or staff possibly determined that it was something that was needing to be handled through a larger future project you know along the corridor as a whole you know currently our data uh, does not, um with the pavement condition index it specifically looks at pavement surface but we have to take you know in into consideration multiple things when we're looking at a corridor so it might be something that's looking at uh, possibly being more expansive if i'm not uh, mistaken i think that might be uh, a street that has been overlaid from face of curb to face of curb and there might be intermittent locations where the curb is deteriorating is that sound correct uh, either way it's something that um, you could you know, use our uh, uh, city web page and put in a specific request for the location to be reviewed you know as a follow-up would be uh, uh, something that I would suggest as a whole um, but other than that I would have to take a further look at it into it
12: um, okay thank you
1: Yeah, and this is Dave Cronstein, engineer. if I could just add one thing, I would just note that this plan is um, kind of fluid and we need to be adaptable if there's something that comes up. Um, um, You know, you mentioned 2019 when we we had a lot of freeze-thaw cycles and we had some streets blow up uh, that we had to do emergency mill and overlay on and we we didn't do some of the local streets, and we're still and we're um, we're catching up, and we're trying to catch up, and I think we're falling further behind. And that's when, you know, that's our challenge when we're trying to stretch our dollars. And if we if we are to do more substantial projects to improve bike facilities, which is great, we're trying to do all that we can. We're taking money out of the program for for curb and gutter and, and maintenance. So um, yeah, without knowing more specifics, Gary, on on that curb, it's that you know, um, we and we've changed our program uh, in the last couple of years and in, in the approach too. So there's probably you know, you mentioned some that didn't get done and still haven't got done. I'm sure there's others. I'm sure there's others from other years, and um, we uh, some of them we we push forward into the next year, and some of them they. They, they drop off and because and, we've more urgent needs quite frankly, so.
12: Thank you, David.
5: Okay, I think um, I can recall two things. One was um, a suggestion that we look at, Has- was it Haskell Avenue to see if we could put bike, bike lanes in there and the other was to consider a policy on when to use white stripes. Um, can we refer Can we refer the white stripe thing to a policy discussion at our next meeting? Would that be all right with everybody?
4: This is Commissioner Brian. Yeah. I, I think staff already gave us a response on Haskell. There wasn't sufficient space for anything other than Cheryl.
7: Is that correct? Excuse me, I like can I think the response was that they could add a striped bike lane, but that would not actually um, get a better level of comfort than what is currently there. I would push back on that because by narrowing the lanes from was like 15 feet to 10, you would definitely get slower cars, much more closely approximating the speed limit rather than going significantly over it. And just, just for context, here's somebody was actually killed on Haskell not too long ago by a speeding car. So I mean, clearly cars are going too fast there. So by decreasing the lane width, yeah, I mean, if we're assuming in a perfect world, right, that the level of comfort would stay the same, I think that's a bit of a fallacy because obviously it's not a perfect world. Cars will go whatever speed they feel comfortable at. And those lanes are real wide and it's a very straight road. So, I mean, I would say it's still worth it to look into it. And I know Court was saying that, yeah, straight lanes are a placebo effect, but if we can at least narrow the lanes, um, I mean, bikers will probably stick to the sides anyway. So I, I, I don't know. I feel like it's something. And it, it's the cost of paint, right? And there's always the, the chance that we could act, actually have some kind of stanchions or maybe in the future some concrete barriers or at least something, right? Some, some sort of incremental imp- improvement to at least get us to the paradigm that we want to be in. But I don't so know. Let's,
5: let's just ask Steve to look at that one and let's put white line policy on the next agenda
4: this is commissioner brian i think steve mm-hmm. would you mind didn't you already give us a response on this issue about haskell
13: steve lashley senior project engineer yeah i, I looked at the the matrix tool again and um basically the low lower cost option both the Sherrows and the conventional bike lane gave the uh level comfort of three so the lower cost option. So it didn't make a difference on the level of comfort per the Okay. Right. So
4: does the, I understand it doesn't change the level of comfort, but are you saying physically it's possible? Like the road is not too narrow to include a bike lane?
13: Physically based on the 31 foot, I think it, it's, it's feasible. Um, it just wouldn't change the level of comfort based on the matrix tool and it's not it's a higher cost option.
4: Okay. So, about, th- thanks for about clarifying that. <laughs> Corey, oh, do you mind if I just I'm
5: really trying to move the meeting along, guys. It's getting late.
4: I understand, Carol, but I think you're also trying to cut off some so
14: I I I personally don't like the white lines, but I understand they're in the bike plan. I see what this, the research has done and I will support them where it fits and, and makes sense, even though I don't believe they make much difference. Uh, I also uh, commend uh, city staff for following the matrix in the equation, but I also submit that I do not believe that the Sharrow and the white line will have the exact same outcome, even if an equation we currently have says that they produce the same level of comfort. I submit that that equation is flawed. Uh, the city staff has done their job in following it, and as the MT- MMTC, it is our position to decide, maybe in this case, we don't think the equation worked, the white stripe would be better, and that would be supportive of directing city staff to find out if we can put a white line on Haskell instead of Sharrows. Understanding that by the current standards applied, the level of comfort is the same. I think we'd all agree here that there is a difference between the two.
4: This is Commissioner Brian. Carol, I, I believe there's still sufficient discussion on this item. Uh, Nick had brought up the Question of what else could we do other than what staff has presented? And Courtney just mentioned that, uh, you know, we could add a white stripe to that section of Haskell. Steve said that could be done. It just wasn't the least cost option um, and it didn't change the level of comfort. It sounds to me like staff is using a criteria that we weren't maybe thinking was a criteria, and that was the cost of the option. So when I look at the bike plan, which is what staff is using to guide these decisions in addition to the cost, it seems to me like the criteria um, of the speed and the – where was it? I was trying to look at Monterey, and it looks like the speed and the traffic volume would justify a buffered bike lane. Uh, It also would justify a protected bike lane and it would justify a conventional bike lane. What I think I heard was staff couldn't find the space because the road wasn't wide enough to have a protected bike lane. What I'm curious is could we have a a buffer bike lane or is that also ruled out because it's not a large enough road?
1: This is Dave Cronis, the engineer. Um, I would have to double check, but um, I'm pre. confident that uh, there's not enough room to have a buffered bike lane because you would need to have I think two foot minimum buffer um, and 31 foot wide road no way for sure. Um, I think um, a portion of Monterey Way might be slightly wider um, and I just don't think it's wide enough to do that but we could you could give us the direction to um recheck that and what the guidance is on minimum for uh meeting a buffered a buffered bike lane. Um, well, the, so,
4: the bike plan says 18 inches.
1: Okay, there you go.
4: So I'm just thinking I'd like to err on the side of trying to do as most the, the most we can, you know, given the options the bike plan presents. And I think when you have the option between a sharrow and a conventional bike lane, if there's space for the conventional bike lane, it should be prioritized over a share. And if there's space for a buffer bike lane and it meets the criteria, then it should be prioritized over a conventional bike lane.
7: Nick Kuzmeak, MMTC. Charlie, I think that is an interesting discussion point because that sort of assumes that we're okay with reducing car lane widths to the minimum required by the street design standards. And I feel like that maybe wasn't considered. So Dave, when you were saying that wasn't Monterey is 31 feet, curb to curb, doing the math real quick, that gives us 10 feet for each lane, so that's 20. And you have 11 feet left over for non-car. So subtract two times two foot buffers, that's four. You still have seven feet left to work with. So say you need six inch for the gutter-ish, that still gives you a three foot bike lane, which isn't great, but for a single bike in one direction, not bad. So that's now five feet in either direction for a bike lane that is now buffered from hopefully a slightly slowed traffic in that new 10-foot lane that is no longer a 15-foot lane. So I feel like there are options here, and what Charlie's saying makes a lot of sense. Like Do the best we can at trying to make things more multimodal and safer for the more vulnerable road users, if at all possible, even if we can't change the geometry or profile of the street.
14: Court Buffington, thank you, Commissioner Bryan. You actually said what I was trying to get to much more succinctly.
7: So I guess the question is, should we add this Carol to the list of things we want staff to look at that Monterey way could be like, what are our options, right? You know, conforming to minimum street design standards for cars, How how much could we get for a bike lane that is safer for cyclists?
5: sure we could but um what kind of feedback does the staff need when do they start construction
1: yes this is dave cronin city engineer we are um we're looking for recommendation uh, tonight so that we can uh start working on plans the first of the year um, i think longer term if we want to get into a different a very minute level of detail with Uh, the guidance that we've used to develop the bikeway design guide and design criteria in NACTO which generally follows the the same the same guidance Um, we could uh, work on work on a policy but it would pretty much be in line with the criteria in the bike plan Um, but it we you know so that i don't i don't believe that it can be done in the next month um it's probably a, a bigger discussion and we we've got um as you know a lot of uh push on making crossings safer safer bicycle crossings pedestrian crossings at signalized intersections unsur- unsignalized intersections so that's kind of a higher it's been pretty high on the list that we've heard from you and we feel the same to have more uh, guidance and policy and criteria on on those crossings. And so I think that um, we were starting to try to work on that first. Um, so I guess back to the, what, what we need from you tonight is we're looking for a recommendation if there, um, we talked about Haskell, uh looking at that. If there's other streets, um, you can include that review in the recommendation uh with the action item on buffered bike lanes um you still you still need to have the uh the width of the bike lane and that's five foot so then you would have an additional buffer to width beyond that and so that's where you can't necessarily take a five foot bike lane and then make it a three foot bike lane and then do some buffer in between you need to have a minimum so without getting into details on really really into the weeds which I think we are into the weeds but that's um, you know we we are presenting what we feel like is the best that we can do at this point but I agree that we should relook at Haskell um, based on the comment the other streets if there's something else uh, included in the recommendation and we'll bring back a an item on next month's agenda with um, a uh, design memo or more information. If that helps.
4: This is Commissioner O'Brien. I don't believe the bike lanes that we're trying to reestablish on Monterey exist as five foot bike lanes as they are. I'd like to make sure that if we can narrow the lanes that are used for the cars that we can do that. If 10 feet is the minimum, then let's go to that and then reserve the rest of the bike lane space for a buffer and the three-foot bike lane that already is there. That seems pretty reasonable.
5: Do we want to make a recommendation for Haskell Avenue and Monterey Way then?
11: If I could point out a detail, Monterey Way is 35 feet back of curb to back of curb. By my measurement on the city interactive map. This was Michael Allman.
0: What do you want to do?
7: Thank you, MMTC. I don't know if this is necessarily a motion, but I could just voice a recommendation to try to summarize what we've been talking about. So I would push that. MMTC as a unit recommends that city staff look into the possibility of both on Haskell and on the sections of Monterey Way that are slated for maintenance to reduce car travel lane width to 10 feet. Per city design standards and with the remaining width, basically expand any bike lane or in the the case of Haskell create a new one. Striped. Does that track with what we've been talking about?
0: Okay. Sometimes. Charlie, is that all right with you?
4: Yeah. Oh, with, and the, I think in terms of the expansion of the bike plan, I'd say adding that buffer if possible.
7: Yeah. I mean, if we have the extra space, I mean, if it's truly 35 feet curb to curb, yeah, I mean, it's something, right? Um, I mean, it, meets, it
4: meets the requirements in the bike plan based on speed and number of vehicles on the road.
7: And then I think the final portion would be to take an. Another look at, uh, somebody may need to help me with this one. It was a policy question. What was the recommendation? I mean,
4: mean, this commissioner, Brian, I think we need to probably frame this up a little better and maybe that's more appropriate in a study session. But there clearly is a interest that we see in trying to prioritize the types of bicycle facilities that doesn't seem to get reflected in what staff presented tonight. And so it's not only a matter of can it change the level of comfort, which is, as Court said, a calculation, you know, an equation. So there needs to still be some sense that one type of infrastructure is provides a greater comfort level maybe not captured in the formula, and that we should be able to rank those and say, when possible, staff would achieve the highest level of, or the infrastructure that has the highest level of, maybe you don't want to call it level of comfort, but something that kind of alludes to the the fact that there are differences between these various um, types of infrastructure for bicycling. I guess it's something I'd like to hear more staff input on because, you know, in particular, I think Jessica Mortinger has been really good at trying to constantly refine this level of comfort analysis. And I'm sure she, if she was here tonight, she would find some value in, you know, getting our input and then thinking about how does it further refine her process? I mean, ideally, the level of comfort would show those micro differences and we wouldn't leave staff with that flexibility around well it doesn't change it so we'll just stick with the share which is the least cost option
1: yeah Dave Kronis, the engineer I would say we could look at uh, this the street width I don't uh, we're not necessarily looking at the lowest cost option between in it within the same level of comfort so I would be I'd like to look at Haskell a little more myself um and um, the width of Monterey Way, I think it, it differs very. So um, I think we've got enough cl- very clear direction on looking at that for sure to bring back recommendation on those. Um And yeah, I think it really comes down to having more refine, refinement on this is the width of the street and then the, Speed and volume um, that we're comfortable with, but you know, even in our bike plan, we don't have that. It's not as granular as that because as when we brought it up, the buffered bike lane is the same as the conventional bike lane. And when you when you look at NACTO, it's even well, if it's if it's a street that's uh, up to thirty five miles per hour and three thousand vehicles. Or more uh, average daily traffic, which is a little is higher than local streets than conventional bike lanes. Okay, um, buffer bike lane is better, but you know that's it's it's not as black and white as I guess we'd like it to be. But and some you know and there's there's still engineering judgment that needs to be taken into consideration. And so it can't be we must do this on every street. But if there's something that helps us all. Um, be a little more uh, clear, so we don't have very long discussions every year. That would would help us all. So I, I'm I'm certainly comfortable into look, uh, looking at it more to have uh, maybe some more guidance. I think we're so slowly making progress, and the big step was getting that criteria in the bikeway design guide. In uh, in and the level of comfort has been great, particularly when we do reconstruction and new streets. So, um, you're, you know, we had that long conversation last uh, month on Walker Russo where we've used to do striped bike lanes. And now we're looking at shared use path or cycle tracks. So that's, I think we're making progress uh, uh, there. So um, I think it might take a little bit of time to get to the to have more discussions on the policy to have a uh, street width and, um, but I think we could look at what we have now at Haskell, Monterey, we'll take a double check these other ones and then bring bring back something, something next month uh, on
3: that. Carol, this is uh, Commissioner Evans. Um, excellent conversation. I'd be willing to, uh, take a shot at uh, a motion and uh, kind of a footnote before the motion would be um, asking staff to, um, as Michael and Don suggested in the correspondence to look at um, the use or non-use of the uh, stripe and given court and others conversation about share roads I would add that to the conversation because I personally agree that a share row is, uh, um, is a bad idea in most cases. And if we could have those two things outside of the motion brought back either in a study session or in a regular agenda, that would be fantastic. And with that, I'd like to move that the um, 2022 street maintenance program and bike plan facility review as presented uh, be approved with the request to have further evaluation for the uh, parts of the um, program uh, for Monterey Way and Haskell Avenue. Is there a second?
5: This
4: is Commissioner O'Brien, I'll second that.
5: All in favor? What do um, we do? Do we do a roll call? Yeah, we'll need to do a roll call. Let me pull
2: that up. Okay. Let's see, so Steve Evans moved. Um, Damon Baltoska. Yes. I'm sorry? Yes. Yes. Okay, thank you. Carol Bowen? Yes. Nick Kuzniak?
0: Yes. Sorry, I couldn't unmute in time.
9: Okay.
1: Was that a yes? That is a yes. Yeah.
0: Thank you.
2: Aaron Payton. Yes. Cord Beffington. Yes. Charlie Bryan. Yes. And Gregory Critchlow.
0: Yes.
5: Okay, motion carried. Okay, and we're going to put the uh, white line policy on the next agenda.
1: David Dave Cronin, city engineer.'ll we'll, we'll, uh, we have on our study session, we're, we're going to be talking about uh, bike facilities. We'll see if' it's, we can tie it into that or if we can what we can put together for starting the conversation. I don't know. I can tell you, we're not going to have a draft policy to present you in December.
5: Okay, um, let's see. Capital Improvement Plan Projects is next, is that right?
1: Correct, uh, Dave Cronin, city engineer. Um, give me one sec, please. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to share my screen. Um, I've attached uh, next year's capital improvement projects that are uh, related to transportation. Um, we did this last year uh, to, you know, mainly to give the commission and you know everyone a heads up on projects that are upcoming before we, before we start them. In some instances, or or um, in some instances, we've already started and progressed pretty far. So um, that's what we're, I've attached tonight, some of the the project sheets uh, from our CIP in 2022 that, that are planned projects. Um, this first one, uh, you're all aware of this one, I believe the 23rd Street project. So that was budgeted for, for two years of construction. We're a little behind on plans, we're working on, um, utility relocations now. And so that project is still moving forward with, with the design that we uh, presented uh, over a year ago. Um, Moving down the list, uh, Walker Research Parkway, to Clinton Parkway. So it was in the budget for this year for design. And we brought it to you last month and uh, we're gonna be bringing this project back next month on the agenda for a recommendation. We um, uh, talked about uh, the bike facilities last month, and we're having a public meeting, which um, will uh, give you uh, an update on under staff items. But um, so this project is in the plan next year, and I think you're aware of it. But it's in there, and so I included the sheet because um, it's related to transportation. Um, One of the next major projects coming up on the horizon for uh, uh, extending infrastructure is associated with uh, the the KDOT project, um, the South Traffic Trafficway K10 expansion, which is um, gonna be doing interchange improvements at K10 and Wakarusa. Uh, which you saw again last month as well, and so this project is um, a CIP project that's in the, both the city and the county CIP to extend to Walkerusa south over the river, the Walkerusa River to, to County Road Four Fifty Eight, and this is a a, a project um, or a connection that's in that's in the. Um, transportation plan, T2040, it's a future arterial street. Uh, I think it's, you know, another important connection um, with the recognition that that Castles now closed at K10. And so um, providing that connectivity into the county uh, is gonna be important. And we're looking at tying this into uh, potentially an agreement with KDOT so that we can Partner with them to bid the project with uh, the South Orange Traffic Way improvements, which, um, if you recall from our discussion last month, are, are not funded for construction at this point. They're moving forward with design plans, but potentially in 2024, it could be let uh, to construction. So we've um, allocated some money this year, uh, next year in 2022, to start looking at design. And um, with, with the idea that it could potentially be funded in 2024 uh, for construction and this would be a project that would be partially funded by the city and partially with the county. Um, so this will, we would expect uh, a review on on the design and how we transition from a city street to a, a county road that would be part of the discussion when we get in, into the design for, for that project. And I'll just keep going through the remaining few and then we can hop back if you, if you have any specific questions on any one in particular. Um, moving forward, 6th uh, and Mass uh, is an intersection that we're looking to improve, uh, really upgrade upgrade our, our traffic signal equipment. Um, I've had some issues with, uh, with faulty equipment out there. Uh, rec- we've recognized the need to have um, better vehicle detection equipment and pedestrian uh, push buttons and um, and so this is uh, probably one of the higher priority uh, traffic signal replacement projects uh, on our list so we've got that in the um, budget next year to start design and then construction in 2023 Um, the next project's eleventh Street from Indiana to Ohio in Louisiana from eleventh to twelfth street. Uh, so this is one of those streets that has uh got to the point where it's failed, so bad that it really does need to be reconstructed. Uh, it's um they're on it's those are streets on on our uh, bus routes and sees a lot of bus traffic and really. Probably the street was streets were never really built to accommodate the, the uh, the load and the frequency of the buses and 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 with the age of the street it really needs to be reconstructed. So this is one that we've um, we're also uh, working to uh, uh, coordinate with some sewer repairs in in the intersection of I think 11th and Ohio. Um, but this is a, a kind of a joint project that we've had on on the radar and that we would do design in next year and then uh, construction in 2023 so both 11th street and Louisiana streets are on the our uh, bike routes on the bike plan and so we'd have some conversations on bike faci- bike ped facilities with uh, the design of that project. Um, The next one that we have here is the Kansas River Amenities Recreation Trail. So currently we are um, in the next phase of repairs to the Bowersock Dam and um, building a road out uh, to the dam and and some of that, um, uh, the work that's being done here uh, this fall and winter um, can be uh, left in place to accommodate a future uh, Trail um, and uh, amenities there um, south of the south of the dam, um, and we you know I know we've had some uh, conversations about the Lawrence Loop alignment and does does it take a an alignment along here kind of along uh, the river and the promenade and then potentially go out into the river uh, into into the park and so there there could be you know this is. Uh, its own, I guess, next, its own project and phase, but th- it could be ex- extended in the future um, if if we um, identify funds in an alignment to continue that in the future. So um, with this project, um, we're reusing the construction access road there, uh, as I mentioned, and um, there's some... Uh, Uh, enhancements really to to access the river there that's being done with this project. Um, This is our annual uh, bike ped program funds uh, that uh, Jake Baldwin, our project engineer oversees for our our non-motorized prioritization program. And so that's again funded in 2022. Uh, And then Parks and Rec has a project to improve uh, a few sections of De Victor Park. There's one section that I think still uh, has uh, aggregate um, surfacing that would be improved to concrete. And um, this also includes the extension of the park, I think on the uh, northwest corner of the park. And, um, the land development code. Um, I know we've had a lot of conversations, um, on the, on the, um, ties between transportation and land use. And, um, with this project here next year, um, that planning's undertaken. We're going to be looking at, uh, the code and uh, the subdivision regulations and, um, I think there will be a consultant that will be hired to to lead this effort, and there'll be some public engagement and and what involvement, um, who all gets involved in that. I don't know at this point, but I'm sure there will be some ties to to this board and some interest from from this board. So there will be uh, more to come on this, but this is a uh, uh, something that we are looking forward to. As as the last uh, major revision was done in 2006. Um, and uh, so I felt like it would be important just to point that this one out that this one's coming uh, in 2022.: And I think finally, this is the last one, and you're I think most were really well aware of this already, but the multimodal transfer facility, um, the construction phase is budgeted uh, in 2022 for that uh, transfer facility and um so that is uh ongoing but um that is kind of the summary of the uh the projects and i would uh let me stop my share here i would open up to any questions that any of you have on some upcoming projects this is
3: steve evans um Dave, I don't know how much detail you can go into. I'm really curious about 6th and Mass and yeah, really happy to see that project um, uh, coming down the pike here. Um, what what um, pedestrian improvements uh, specifically can you talk about? Maybe it's too early to do that, but um, I'm real curious about that.
1: Yeah, Dave Cronin, engineer. Um, <clears throat> Uh, the The project's really geared towards equipment of signals and um, uh the signal poles are 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 cameras that are out there um vehicle detection and it's not um, geared towards any geometric improvements or any major changes um, and so um, at this point we haven't uh done any we haven't started work on the project yet, but it's primarily geared around uh, up, upgrades to equipment and operations of the traffic signal uh, equipment that's out there for those for those intersections um, at Mass and, and Vermont. This is Commissioner <clears throat> Brian.
4: <clears throat> is it possible for the pedestrian signals to be something that could be activated by a pedestrian with with new infrastructure there? Or
1: could a leading pedestrian interval be implemented? Uh, this is Dave Cronin, city engineer. Uh, we haven't discussed a leading pedestrian interval there at that intersection, but it w- it will have pedestrian uh, uh, buttons and activation for, for crossings. And so it gives us a lot more flexibility and the timing uh, to do that if we were to make any changes than what we have out there right now. So we haven't discussed that.
7: All right, Nick Kuzmiak, MMTC. I have a couple of questions or comments I guess too. Um, So this may be larger than us and MSO and everything um, because I believe this is from the entire city CIP format, but I noticed that for every project page there's a box at the bottom that says you know impact to budget or just other information and it's sort of useful but only really for non-operating cost info and I feel like any big project really makes more sense when it's quantified as a net present value or some other measure that takes the ongoing financial obligations into account. Um, I don't know. I feel like when we fail to quantify future expenditures, we're sort of doing future generations of disservice by basically turning a blind eye to whether or not this project is actually going to be a net positive or negative. Um, and I mean, as an engineer, when we do cost estimates, we always take into account operating expenditures maintenance cost, consumables cost over the intended lifespan of the project. So I guess I'm kind of surprised that given the capacity we have at the, the city that we don't have more information on, you know, the anticipated maintenance interval, what those maintenance costs are going to be, at what frequency they're going to happen, what's the expected useful life of the project. I believe that piece of information is there. But I feel like saying that the Walker extension is going to be seven million dollars, well, that's what it's going to be up front but a great dane puppy is only a couple thousand up front and it's many more thousand over the course of its life right so i feel like it would be really worthwhile to kind of explore what the full lifetime cost of these things are um because i think in some instances we may find that the kind of new economic activity that they may generate or improve isn't going to be sufficient to cover the lifetime cost and these things are going to be and end up being drains on the economy so i feel like 20 the uh the walker extension looks to be a particular example of one of those where it's just. I mean, are we going to build a lot of businesses along it? Is there going to be additional property tax revenue coming from there? Um, Is there to even quantify the new city? um, Revenue that this might bring in to be able to justify such such an expensive project, so. um, I guess that's a question for staff. Why don't we have better information on ongoing costs of these big projects?
1: This is Dave Cronson, the engineer. Um, we're working in that area in our asset management program, particularly when we put in new infrastructure. To um, to have to have what the asset cost is, what the maintenance costs are, and we're we're trying to work to improve that. So it it is a section on on these CIP forms that that I would say are not consistently completed amongst all of those that into our projects um but i agree that we need to have a you know the, that we want to know the operation and maintenance costs uh, of the infrastructure we build uh, so that we can budget appropriately to, to maintain it um as far as the economic development uh, that you know that it, it's a it's a good question um some of that it's very hard to quantify and it would take um some dollars to do site specific studies to to do that um i would just say as we as the city grows we expect the need to extend infrastructure to serve it and we need to but we also need to recognize that um you know the cost to maintain it and what you know what is the what is the economic impact um of 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 growing and extending infrastructure and maintaining it so um uh yeah, we're probably not all the information that you want to see there, Commissioner Kuzmiak. And uh I uh I think we're making improvements, but but slow, but probably slower than we all all want on on maintenance. So um
7: Kuzmiak, MMTC. Well, it sounds like at least things are trending in the right direction. I mean, I would, I would say before this goes to city commission, it seems like it would be a good idea to say like, well, you know, here's what we know it's going to cost up front because we've done plenty of construction and bids. But based on previous maintenance projects, we also know that, you know, a mill and overlay that's done every 10 to 15 years is going to cost this much per linear foot uh, for Lanewood. I mean, I feel like even if I look through public records, I could find that information. So. I would, just, I would just hope that our, our elected officials have the information they need to make a decision on whether or not this kind of makes sense. I'm also looking at the growth tier map, and this is in tier three, um, which means that we'll get there eventually, but it's not necessarily something that we were planning on doing in the next few years. But I see the project timeline is significantly faster or sooner than what tier three growth is supposed to look like. So I guess my question is. Where did this project originate from other than it's a dotted line on a map i mean is there any project out here that needs to be served is there any safety issue that needs to be covered it, it it just seems like you know we're we're connecting the city to the county which is great but a lot of people want to live in the county because they don't really like the city there's no they don't really want the connectivity that's sort of the point point. and it, it, it seems like this is kind of completing a grid for grid's sake rather than actually serving any kind of definable objective. So I don't know if anybody else has kind of looked into this pr- project, but this seems to me kind of really similar to the extension of 27th Street, connecting the dog park and um, the sports complex, where it's sort of a, a solution in search of a problem.
4: This this is Commissioner O'Brien. <clears throat> Nick, are you talking about the wauka extension? Yep.
0: Thank you.
4: Yeah, it feels to me like it's mostly about timing. Like if the state's going to be doing something with the highway, that's an opportune time to jump ahead of everything and get a, you know, good cost savings by
0: piggybacking on their project.
7: (laughs) Excuse me, MMTC. So. So I mean, when you look at plan T2040, there's a whole bunch of other of these dotted lines kind of out in the countryside. Um, why this one in particular? Was there any impetus for choosing this exact spot to kind of connect to lightly populated areas?
1: Yeah, Dave Kruntz, the engineer. I think this one rose up a little uh, with the discussion of, of the closure of Castled um, originally was going to be closed and then they left it open for a little bit and then they closed it uh, obviously when we had some crash issues out there but the long-term plan was to close castled with the um when the uh, four-lane expansion project is done um the you know you have iowa us-59 which extends into the county and then the other road you have is, is the dam road which is a core of engineers maintained road and that is under their jurisdiction and they could conceive conceivably close it. So I think this, it's a combination of, um, you know, maybe not necessarily focused on, we need to extend the road to accommodate growth right now down there, but it, it reestablishes access uh, that was uh, cut off from the castle project and um, for not as motorists, but for, Cyclists as well that um, bike out into the county. So um, it's been on the radar for a number of years um, as an unfunded project. And with the anticipation of the uh, the the KDOT project, uh, we'd like to take advantage of the economies of that to complete and complete the uh, improvements with that project and, and extend the road to the
7: south, so. It again MMTC. but so I think I've heard you mention a couple times that the closure of Castle kind of prop- popped this up a little bit in the priority scale. I realize that the closure of the Castle to exit and entrance to K10 generated some kind of local issues, but people who lived on a north 1200 road, wouldn't they have just used South 59 to get to where they're going anyway, or the d- dam road? I mean, the- it doesn't seem like Castle really had anything to do with their access. Um I'm I guess I'm struggling to see how that changed anything for the folks who live down there. Yeah,
4: this
0: I can't that.
4: This is Commissioner Bryan. Nick, I'm not sure if you were just um <clears throat> not tuning in back then, but there was a significant uh public reaction to closing a castle <clears throat> that led to that kind of I don't know what you how you describe it, but it was a makeshift effort to continue to provide some access um, which did not work out which caused it to be completely closed which was KDOT's original plan so I think in that discussion there was a lot of talk about the fact that the city had no other way to get um, on the other side of K10 except Iowa so or US-40 whatever that is there <clears throat> so the Corps of Engineers Road being the alternate people would mention but that's not a road that the city has any control over <clears throat> so Wakarusa has always kind of been that you know this is the where the road needs to be because it's not going to be castled so I think this is just kind of a when is that going to be done and I'm kind of curious about the bicycle infrastructure I think that's One of the users, user groups that is going to probably be really excited about this is people that ride their bikes are going to want to take that route to get um, out into the county. I think it's more about city residents trying to get out than it is the people that are on 1200 Road trying to get to the city. That's just my take on it.
14: Court Buffington, MMTC, you baited me in. And and uh, Dave mentioned it also. while you know, it certainly wouldn't justify this kind of expense for that alone. Uh, looking at the plans and the widening of the four lane on K ten around the west side of town. That is gonna make it very difficult to get, and, and I think Michael made comment uh, some comments on that last time too, Michael Ullman. That That's gonna make it very difficult to get bicycles out into that section of the county when those improvements are done. And that is an extremely heavily traveled area. A lot of people leave, uh, head out of town to get out to the Southwest part of the county, south and around the lake. Uh, so, this is going to maintain access that essentially, for most intents and purposes, the bicycling community is going to lose when the four-lane goes in. Again, I, you know, that it's a big expense. There need to be other reasons to do it too. Um, but after I saw the plans. Uh, again, unfunded, not no date yet on it, but when I saw the plans for the four-lane expansion, I immediately thought, okay, this is just going to destroy how we all get out into that part of the county, and this southern route from Wakarusa down to 458 restored it, so I was really excited to see, for that purpose. I was really excited to see it.
7: It me at MTC court. I'm not sure I'm fully following. How was the expansion of of uh, is it from two lanes to four lanes going to make access harder for cyclists to get to oh, the okay. county? I don't know the, if sure any the right.
14: expansion of South Lawrence traffic lane.
7: Okay.
14: That at the interchange at Clinton Parkway to get across into um, over to the other side of the highway, which gets you into the Clinton Lake area and south. That's the major way cyclists get out there today. When that uh, when when K-10 expands to four lane out there, all of the design plans we saw is going to make it essentially impossible. And and cyclists would go out there in groups. So, like trying to get around those all those roundabouts and the places where the cycling path will be when you've got a group of t- multiple groups of five to ten uh, or more cyclists trying to get out there at certain times of the week with very large organized group rides, uh, it, it's kind of going to cut off cut off that access almost entirely but 458 being connected to Wakarusa restores a way to get into that part of the county without having to drive somewhere and park a car and get out or be dependent upon riding a bike down US 59 south of town which is only about a mile but not very fun.
7: So I'm seeing bike lanes along the whole part of the of the proposed interchange reconstruction I don't know if I'm just looking at it wrong, but as somebody who would just be biking out there, I I see no problem in still accessing there. Are you talking about people who are just riding in the road in, in like a Peloton? Because even then, I mean, you can still use the road as you wish, right? It's not like you're crossing the surface part of the highway. You're going over the highway. Is it over or under? I mean, you're still on a regular surface road, right? I don't really understand what the difference is here.
14: The plans we were presented last month for the uh, – for expansion of South Lawrence Trafficway to four lanes at the interchange with Clinton Parkway.
7: Right. And I'm seeing yellow bike lanes along the whole thing. This is um, Yeah, Dave like in one
14: place where you have to cross a, a roundabout in six different places with the bypass lanes. Mm-hmm. And those bypass lanes are going to carry cars accelerating and decelerating from highway speed. Yeah, I find that a real serious problem.
1: This is Dave from <laughs> City Engineer. I'll I'll jump in. I um, there's a, to be cl- to be clear. There's a plan for a shared use path and not bike lanes. Um, that's being done with the improvements on the Wakarusa with the KDOT project. And so this project, we'll have to have a conversation on what bike facility extends further south. Whether it's you know any whatever bike facility that is, whether it's uh separated or on street or whatever the options are so um very good conversation we'll have this conversation again when we are looking at design and and this is more of just a hey this is coming down the road uh point in time right now that we're giving you heads up on but um uh we'll we'll be uh bringing this discussion back uh next year on this project but um yeah, overall, uh, it's really ex- what, what we do south of the KDOT project. would you saw what the improvements they had proposed, and they still need to fine tune those still, um, as they mentioned last month. But
4: this, is Commissioner Brian, I'm wondering, given the um, kind of attention this is likely to draw, uh, you know, your $500,000 budget next year for planning and design, how much of that is or is that adequate to provide the community engagement work that needs to probably go on
1: to do this project well? This is Dave engineer. the engineer. Uh, that's the numbers that are reflected in that uh, estimate is the city share. Of the county is going to, is it anticipated to fund half of the project? So that would be uh, up to a million dollars. I think they have five hundred thousand in design for next year. Um, I I hope that's enough.
4: Is there? I mean, is there a plan to do something more, you know, significant to give the public enough opportunity to weigh in on this? And I don't know how to coordinate the KDOT piece of it. But a lot of what gets people excited is what KDOT is proposing to do. That's where kind of court was going. And just trying to get clear, like, this is not that. And I don't know how the two need to be coordinated, but people want to give input probably on the totality of this plus what
1: KDOT's up to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Dave Cronin, City Engineer, we will have an engagement process as, as part of the, the work for design on this project with the county um the kdot is doing the engagement process for uh their project they brought the plans last month they got some feedback they presented um plans and concepts the past couple years with their with their study um so those conversations can still be ongoing uh for sure um so while they're this is a separate project. I, you know, I guess I understand the the tie and the connection. Um, so, the, but uh, for this project, there will be uh, engagement that is done with, with uh, the project in, in the design. Um, and so, we will, similar to what we did for Wakarusa last year, <laughs> further to the north, we'll put together. Um, a request for proposals and what we expect the consultant to provide, which would include community engagement and then we'll staff will determine what that needs to look like for this project and we'll work with the county to put together a schedule and a plan for that.
7: Excuse me, MMTC, on the budget I'm seeing that for this project it's only city future general obligation debt funds. Why isn't the county being asked to pay for this as well, given that it serves them and is also basically on their land, not within city limits. I mean, it, it's sort of adjacent to city limits, but it's not really in city limits based on that red outline that you have there. Um, I could be wrong, but according to Google Maps, this is outside Lord city limits. So how do yeah. we justify paying for something that's not in our territory? Yeah, this is
1: Dave Cronin, city engineer. Again, we're, we're splitting this project with the county. So I think it's a 50-50 cost share, the dollars that are on the CIP plan sheet are just the city funded dollars and do not reflect county contribution
3: uh, to the project
7: so the expenditures listed are not even the full expenditures of the project they are half wow okay good to know in that case that's large enough capital expenditure that it would be definitely useful to see what the cost of this is over the useful life so i was Mm -hmm. strongly encouraged generating that because, I mean, if I was an engineer and if I submitted plans that didn't have a total cost of project ownership, we would not get hired again, so.
1: This is Dave Crohn's the engineer. So if there's no other, I guess, comments or questions, that's all that we had on this item it was just a give everyone a heads up what's coming down the road next year.
7: I do have one more if that's all right with you um, MMTC. I just wanted to kind of point a general thing here that I know Michael Alman has brought this up a couple of times and I usually p- parrot it because I feel like it's important, but when we're looking at the capital budgets that we see here for all these various more car oriented projects, they add up pretty quickly into the tens of millions of dollars. Then you go down to project number, geez, what is it? Um, The one that's just kind of all general sidewalk, you know, pet improvements. It's like 1.675 million. That's a decent amount of money for me, but comparatively speaking, you know, that chunk of the overall budget is pretty minuscule. And, you know, I'm gonna point again to our retreat where city leaders said, you know, we would like you to do a, a better balance of the different modes of transportation. And I took that to mean that that'll probably take a a different look at how uh, funding is allocated as well. So obviously, this is not the time to really do anything about it. But I think this is the commission where it starts, where we realize that the sheer amount of money that we spend on card projects that kind of increase card dependency um, wildly outpaces that which we set aside as kind of table scraps for everything else. So I feel like seeing it laid out here really puts that in stark contrast. How much we can do about it now, but it's just a point I want to continue to kind of hammer on for possibly a retreat topic in the near future.
4: This is Commissioner Brian. <laughs> Nick, I appreciate your comment there, but this is the budget the City Commission you know, presents us.
7: Yep, and so, if, we don't, <clears throat> if we don't push back, they're not going to see the cognitive dissonance and what they want. <laughs> they actually I mean, what I feel like it's kind of up on us to actually push back on what they've allocated and say like, you guys did say you wanted a better balance of multi-modes, right? Put your money where your mouth is. This is exactly how you do it. I see Michael's hand is up. Did
4: Carol, did he have anything to add?
5: Michael, is your hand up or is it forgotten?
11: <laughs> no, it's up. Thank you. <laughs> um, well, I have a, a couple comments, but I'll start to thank Commissioner Kuzmiak, for that budget issue, um, we've advocated, I mean, right now, well, no, not right now, a few years back, the bicycle, pedestrian, both combined portion of the transportation budget was 0.082%. 0. 0. And a few years ago, we asked that that be increased uh, by 8% a year, which was commensurate with how the uh, sidewalk maintenance and improvement program. And indeed, the budget has been showing over the past couple of years an 8% increase in the bicycle pedestrian funding. So somebody's listening, but still, like Commissioner Kuzmiak said, that's minus- minuscule. Um, keep pushing for it because you know, during the street maintenance discussion, How many times did did somebody say, well, you know, we'd like to do more in this, but, you know, until we have more funding, blah, 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 you know, that comes up all the time. Um, My next comment is about the Wakarusa Extended. Um, all, All your discussion is pretty accurate that quite a bit of the push for it was from county residents in the southwest part of the county who um, their only opportunity in the city was up Highway 59 Iowa Street. Um, I'm excited as a bicyclist because I don't think I need to show my screen, but from last month, the intersection at 27th and Wakarusa that KDOT is redesigning shows shared use path um, terminating toward the south end of that interchange, which is implied that it will be continued and should be continued um, south to uh, CR 458, County Road 458. Um, I would personally like to see on one side of that, high, that not a highway, but road, six foot wide pedestrian facility. On the other side, a 10 foot wide dedicated Bicycle track, so the modes are separated. You know, if we're going to be separating modes, if we really want to do that, we got to start doing it somewhere, and this would be an ideal time. Um, enough said on that. On the the Kansas River Amenities Recreation Trail, I like what uh, the city engineer is saying about possibility of this somehow being coordinated with the extension of the Lawrence Loop, which might be along the promenade. Um, But you have to keep in mind that this recreation trail is at water's edge, and that's a good 15 feet below the promenade. So if it's going to be somehow connected to or coordinated, and then get across the dam, it's going to be going uphill Kind of like salmon swimming upstream, you know. It's going to be quite a rise to get up to where it needs to be above the dam. Uh, And, oh, yeah, on the um, land development code, this is exciting. It's about time. And I could say all kinds of things. But one thing that I want you to keep in mind is that the subdivision regulations are part of the land development code and the subdivision regulations are where it specifies that when a developer builds a development they are required to install sidewalks well there should be there is no current provision at all for building bikeways anywhere in the subdivision regulation so there should be something similar that a developer is required to build bikeways when they do a development, let's do it up front. Let's have them pay for it. Put it into um, the land development charges that all their um, land landowners, when they when they pay for their mortgage, whatever. Um, we have to be looking for funding anywhere we can find it, and this is a logical, um, you know, plum to be plucked. So. There'll be a lot more to talk about, but keep in mind that that's the place, the subdivision regulation is the place where we can make some major changes um, in geometrics and in particular applications for certain streets, different levels of use in streets and intersections and roundabouts to accommodate pedestrians and bicycles much better than we do now. So that's enough for me, but thank you very much.
0: Carol, you're on mute. Any other comments? Are we ready to move on
9: to
5: staff items? OK, the neighborhood traffic management program. Who's speaking to that?
15: This uh, Dustin Smith, senior project engineer with MSO. And yeah, this is my item. Uh, So I I guess I do need to uh, update the timeline since uh, we put the agenda together. Uh, We've pushed the installation of the temporary devices to Thursday the fourth, just due to some challenges getting all our materials together and getting utility locates called in. Um, But we are uh, kind of putting the finishing touches on a press release, social media push, and uh, get the website updated with exhibits and. Uh, Frequently asked questions uh, that should all uh, come out tomorrow early and then uh, again we'll be evaluating these temporary installations make sure they're having the intended effect and then move forward with the installation of permanent traffic calming next year in the neighborhood Um, and then the walkers to drive uh, public open house coming up on Wednesday the 3rd in the evening. I guess maybe want to clarify, since we talked a lot about Wakarusa, previously the extension that this Wakarusa open house is for the reconstruction between Clinton Parkway and Research Parkway. And we will be uh, intentional about getting public input on the type of bike ped facility that that we're uh, want to put on that section of walk Russa and uh should be uh, bringing a, a staff recommendation back to this uh board next month to to move that design forward
5: any questions for dustin Dustin, I always have trouble finding the website. Can you uh, provide us with the link? Uh,
15: So it's uh, Are you uh, asking about Wakarusa or the Neighborhood Traffic Management Program? The Neighborhood Traffic Management. So I can Sorry, this is Dustin Smith with MSO. Read it to you. I don't know if the chat is enabled, but so it's LawrenceKS.org/slash/mso/slash/safer-speeds, yeah, or uh, the search function on the the city website works really well. If uh, you search for the neighborhood traffic management program in the in the search.
0: Thank you. Any
1: other questions? Uh, this is Dave Krunst, the engineer. Gary's got his hand raised. Gary, did you have a comment on one of these items?
12: Yeah, I did have a couple of questions, but I wanted the um, MMTC to have a chance before public comment. So when you're ready.
1: We don't typically do public comment, but go ahead if there's, if you're ready
12: okay sure a couple of questions dustin um first of all on your diagonal diverters on the east west streets did you accommodate bicycles on those so
15: there are uh there is a cut through in the diagonal to uh, allow bicycles to travel through but
12: thank you prevent
15: uh vehicles from from going straight through at those uh, intersections
12: second i want to thank you for expedience in putting this program together and activating it. I'm really impressed with how quickly it's going and I'm real happy for old West Lawrence and for the program. My question to you now is as you move forward with this pilot project, when do you plan to have the next round of applications? There's lots of neighborhoods in Lawrence who would like to see something similar to this.
15: I, this I Dustin Smith with MSO. I agree. I, I, I hear from a lot of neighborhoods as well and um, we haven't, Set the exact timeline on uh, when the the applications will be open for next year, but that's that's something I need to get to soon. Um, and we have discussed maybe not having you know such a tight window of application, but maybe have the application available, you know, starting early in 2022, and then just have a, a deadline would probably still need to be in in May in order to get the get the whole study and, and installation executed but that that's uh pretty uh, high on my list to, to get the next year's application in motion
12: super thank, thanks that's no and we
15: will uh, again send that out to all the uh, neighborhood associations directly as well as you know doing our our regular kind of um, promotion of it
12: excellent thank you I appreciate it.
0: Anyone else?
5: Can we move on to commission items? Steve, did you have a comment? No. Commission items, PTAC update.
7: I think there was one more staff item though. For the Walker Drive Reconstruction Public Meeting.
5: No, I think Dustin handled both of them at the same time.
7: Okay, sorry. I was okay.
5: spacing Thanks out Thanks for the help.
7: <laughs> Nick, who's me again, MTC, also p Uh quick P-TECH update. Um, let's see, here's where we were as of last meeting. Um, Adam Weigel asked us for basically a, a lot of uh, committee involvement in certain initiatives to move us, move a couple things forward. One of them being the, I think, art redesign. It's, it's sort of like how to uh, how to better brand the KU and the city buses to make it seem like they serve both and everybody at the same time. So that was a pretty big involvement and PTAC basically said, "Yeah, we don't really have anybody who has that kind of bandwidth to join, but if you can bring back to us some recommendations, we're happy to kind of help guide the process. We just can't necessarily spare that much time. So that's where that left. Um, That's pretty much it. Gregory, am I missing anything?
11: You know, Nick, I was not able to attend that one, so I will have
7: to take the word for it. Okay. Fair enough. Uh oh, and the other one was nominated a PTEC member to um to help select an artist for the transit facility. So that was a significantly smaller commitment. And um, and we did identify a member for that. So otherwise there's a whole lot of grants that are still being applied for. Um Adam is still going full full bore on those and um It'll be exciting to see which of those leads to additional funding for the city. That's it for PTEC. Uh,
5: Transit Route Redesign Committee. Um, Charlie and I are, are on that. Charlie, did you attend the last meeting?
4: No, I was not able to. The agenda was primarily around the community engagement work that was gonna go on during the months of October and November. There's a series of meetings that they've promoted. Um, Hopefully everyone's heard about those.
5: Yes, um, I I watched the YouTube video and they were saying that they were looking for places to table. I didn't know that term before, but basically they want to set up places where they can get citizen input on uh, route design. That's pretty much it. Um, Pedestrian plan update.
7: Kuzmiak MMTC, and also PTEC. Um So for the pedestrian plan update, the last meeting that we had was like last Thursday. The, there was a, uh, three major items on it. Um, we gave some feedback on the proposed scope of work and provided some comments. We gave feedback on the public outreach program, suggested a couple of places that the team could table at and kind of get feedback. So that's been going on in, over the past week or so. i them so at the farmer's market. I know they've been... A, the library as well. And at this point, um, I believe we also gave enough feedback for them to start with the the survey, basically. So trying to collect as much information as we can from folks who are, you know, just kind of walking around already on what they think the current pedestrian plan, um, what, you know, strong points, weak points, what they'd like to see in the future, some visual preference surveys. It's a pretty comprehensive survey. So, I couldn't tell you what the exact link is to get to the website to fill out that survey, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's coming to Lawrence Listons pretty soon. So
1: this is Dave the engineer. The survey is out on Lawrence Listons, Um and uh, it, um, that's the same survey that um, we're using to go out with public outreach in person to use, but you can fill it out online. So. On the agenda, if you click on the pedestrian plant update item, it's the hyperlink to that website and that website has the link to the survey, uh, but you can also find it on Lawrence Listen. So we'd encourage not only the board members, but those that you know, to just feel free to push this information to folks that you know, and we're really trying to get uh, a lot of results and uh, a lot of feedback to help drive the plan. So it's really important that we get, you know, that we get survey information, so please please help staff uh, in that effort. Thanks.
7: Thank hey, MMTC. Yeah, thank you for noting that that was already in the links. <laughs> All that information is there. Um, I believe our next update will probably be once we collect a decent amount of information via the survey. i I'm thinking it may be instructive to take that to MMTC as maybe an agenda mm-hmm. item or a study session. And see if we can kind of learn from who's responded and see how that not only affects the pedestrian plan, but maybe if there's any new information that, that, that we could, you know, avail ourselves of going forward. Gary, did you have your hand raised? I don't know. If-
12: I just wanted to mention that if you follow the link on the previous item, um, the route read, I'm on the committee as well. If you follow the link on the route redesign that's in your notes, that's in your agenda, it will take you to the page and there is a link there to all the current. Planned outreach events. There's uh, still about 10 left out of a whole list of 20 total. So, um, tabling is, I'm tabling tomorrow at the public library and it's a, a chance to interact with people and explain <coughs> people on route redesign. So, check out those events and show up.
9: Commissioner
5: Bowen, Nick, I have a question. Um, did I say that KDOT had a representative on your? Committee,
7: I believe they do, but I'm not sure if they've been on the call. Um, Gregory, were you on the call on Thursday or not? I forget. they were on
1: it or not. Yeah, this is Dave Cronin, City Engineer. There are a few uh, referring to the pedestrian plan. They're on our list of staff advisors. Uh, and it's Jenny, it was Jenny and Matt. Jenny was Jenny Kramer who presented tonight and then and Matt Messina, Um, our staff advisors on that committee.
7: It shows here that it's Allison Smith from KDOT.
5: Well, I was wondering if they're doing an update to KDOT at the same time we're doing an update, what are we using for reference, their 1995 plan? Or are we trying to develop a plan in parallel? What are we doing?
7: We're basing it off of the previously adopted pedestrian plan, which I think was 2015. Um, Oh, I'm sorry, this is the yeah. No wonder I have the wrong roster. This is the 2014 roster, so yeah. um, We're basically updating the 2015 pedestrian plan that was MPO and Lawrence specific. So I think KDOT is there to advise, but it's not necessarily that we're following their standards really.
0: Any other questions?
5: Let's see. Calendar. No.
7: One more committee update.
5: Yeah, board review and performance measure.
1: Yes, this is Dave Crown Engineer. I don't believe that uh committee met in the last month, so there's no update that I'm aware of.
5: On to calendar.
7: Uh, Carol, one quick thing, if I may (laughs) Excuse me at MMTC. Um, I didn't feel this is necessarily appropriate during the last agenda item, but I think it is now. So we know that the land development code rewrite is coming up, and I think we all understand that MMTC does need to be involved in this, at least in some capacity. I don't know what that looks like just yet, but I would would strongly recommend that we at least maybe pen a letter to the city commission. Um, I can help draft one if you'd like. Basically asking to be involved in the process because otherwise all these discussions that we've been having around the intersection of land use and and planning will you know kind of not have come to fruition so I think rather than wait around and ask for our feedback uh, I think we would be better off being proactive in this in this effort which is kind of a once in a generation chance to reshape how the built environment is going to look so I don't know if this needs to be a, a motion um if you just want to thumbs up thumb, thumbs down if anybody is even on board with the idea but any thoughts? Anyone? This is Commissioner Bryan, I
4: would like to know more about what the process is going to be for steering that work. Is it just going to be run by a consultant or staff? You know, we had a Horizon 2020 steering committee. It seems like this is a pretty big deal. It might deserve that level of engagement.
1: Dave Cronin, the engineer. It is a it is a big update. There will be engagement process. It hasn't been determined yet. I'm sure the MMTC will be included in those conversations. Um, uh, it, that's all I have to update you yeah, on this point. So there will be there's a lot of stakeholders that will be involved in in that process. And so uh, I don't know how it looks and who's all going to be in the on the steering committee, but there'll be a, a, a big public engagement process uh, for that, for sure. So, and I would expect MMTC to be included in that.
5: David, what's the timeline when, if if we're thinking about a letter now, is it necessary because it's going to be put off? Or when are they going to be start firing up?
1: Cronin City engineer. Uh, I think the RFQ is going out if it's not out already, it's being worked on um, and then um, I would anticipate it starting uh, next year, but I don't have a schedule. Um, it's j- just just starting. Uh, it's budgeted in uh, CIP for next year. so um, I don't have all that information at this point. I, I would say if, if you really feel the need to draft a letter, go for it, um, uh, um, but I think I can, I can tell you that uh, the MMTC will be included somehow on how, and we'll provide you an update when we have a plan for engagement. And then if you, I guess I would say, if you feel like you need to be more involved, that might be the time to say something, but um, that's about all I know at this point.
5: Anyone
0: else have a thought on that? Should we hold off on
5: writing a letter? Should we write a letter?
7: Thank me, at MMTC. It sounds like we're kind of uh, what's word, apathetic about the whole thing at this rate. So I, I, I say it probably makes more sense instead of for one person to drive this thing proactively to just kind of wait till it comes back around. I believe the RFP said that early February is when the city commission is set to approve the c- contract in full, um, or maybe the kickoff meeting is something like that. So I think that's kind of the timeline for the official start of this.
0: Okay, any other comments from commissioners? I have just one brief thought. I always have a list, but I'll just do it with one brief thought.
5: Everyone seems to think that putting in a sidewalk and an ADA ramp is what pedestrians need. That pedestrians just need a place to walk. That doesn't necessarily mean a sidewalk. That's my comment. Can I have a motion to adjourn?
1: Uh, this is Dave Crone, city engineer. Um, Commissioner Bone, we have uh, the one more item, the calendar, to go over. Uh.
5: I'm
1: sorry, <laughs> and I'm happy to give you a quick uh, update on that. Um, so our next meeting is uh, Monday, December the 6th on a study session. We uh, included a discussion on uh, bike, bikeway intersection improvements and follow up on that green pavement marking review that we're, we've been working on with uh, Alta to review criteria on that. Um, on the regular meeting, um, we have the 2022 calendar and annual ret- annual retreat. So start, starting a conversation on getting together a group to help plan our annual retreat, which we've traditionally done in January or February, and then uh, setting the dates for meetings next year. Um, the Neighborhood Traffic Management Program Safer Speeds Report. Um, so that's gonna be a follow up on the education campaign that we did this year, the before and after. Uh, survey information and um, results on that that Alta uh, worked on for us. So that'll be on the regular meeting. And then um, a recommendation on the walkers to drive uh, project uh, that we reviewed the concepts for last month. And so those are the items that are listed. And then, as I mentioned earlier, we'll bring back. a. Uh, Follow up on the item tonight for uh, the street maintenance plan as you recommended.
5: Um, That was rather general. Are we talking about the the policy on when we would use white white lines?
1: Dave Cronus engineer, we are not bringing a policy in December on where to use white lines. We're gonna bring back a recommendation on uh, review re-reviewing Haskell and Monterey Way and the bike facility that we're recommending for those streets.
5: So um, several people were interested in discussing the use of the white lines. Where can we put Mm -hmm. that?
1: Dave Cronus the engineer, we'll need to put that in 2022.
5: Okay, can we put it on the... future study
1: session topics or something? Yes. We can
4: do that. This is Commissioner Bryan. For the study session in December on the bikeway intersection improvements, will that possibly include discussion of raised crosswalks or raised crossings?
1: Dave Cronin, city engineer. Um, I, I don't know, uh, Commissioner <laughs> Bryan. what we're all gonna have. There, there's a lot to go into intersection improvements. A lot of the raised crosswalks are for non-controlled intersections. I think we were trying to get to looking at more arterial, shared use path crossings, um, but um, and we've only got an hour. Um, I know we were going to follow up on the um, on our standard detail for the raised crosswalks that we talked about in the uh, uh, that we talked about earlier. But uh, if you have additional thoughts, please feel free to let me know.
4: Well, I was just thinking it might be if the topic is you know broad enough, it might be a good time to help us understand better about the different types of what appear to be raised crossings. On our bikeway network, are so if there are if we do if we need to learn that these aren't all considered the same thing, um, and they might be specifications that are designed just differently or whatever. I think that'd be helpful time to get <clears throat> get a chance for us to ask questions, and understand that. The other thing I was interested in, whether it might be part of this topic, is the Idaho stop. It's been brought up a few times this year. <clears throat> and I tried to get some information from Jenny in her presentation. It sounds like this has been an ongoing thing as well. And it's an intersection issue for bicyclists. So I wonder if it could be, if you could provide more background on the history of that um, and just more detail about why the staff recommendation is not to take this on at this time.
1: Okay, Dave Krunst, the engineer. I'll see if I can put together <coughs> a very brief memo on the history and then we can put that maybe under staff items. I don't know if we'll have enough time to discuss it all in the study session, but um, um, I know we've, we, we can put together something on that. Thank you. Yeah.
0: Anyone else on the calendar? Can I have a motion to adjourn?
14: Court Buffington, so move. Second. Commissioner Bryan, second.
0: All in favor? (laughs) Thanks everyone. Meeting adjourned. Thank you. Good night.